This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp movie podcast. We're talking about the 20th anniversary of The Matrix Reloaded. It's a 2003 sci-fi action thriller it was released back in May of 2003, and Jim and I are here to give it its 20th birthday uh, party. One more year, and you can legally drink. It was written and directed by the Wachowskis. Wachowskis have done a bunch of interesting stuff over the years, uh, some that hasn't been well-received, some that has uh, Speed Racer, uh, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, mm-hmm. the, the, the lot, a, lot, a lot of visually imaginative stuff. This movie stars Keanu Reeves of Speed, Point Break, Bram Stoker's Dracula, John Wick fame, Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fish, got to start an apocalypse now. He's also rejoined Keanu Reeves and John Wick. Carrie Ann Moss, we've seen her in Memento. She also was a high-powered attorney on the Jessica Jones series on Netflix. Hugo Weaving, he's Lord Elrond. Give him some fucking respect. Plays V on V for Vendetta. Jada Pinkett Smith has starred in many things. Menace to Society, The Nutty Professor, Set It Off, and Will Smith's Meltdown, that one Oscars broadcast. Uh, Gloria Foster, she's a famous actor on stage. I did not recognize a single other role than uh, her being the Oracle on The Matrix, but she's damn good at it. I'm going to have a whole mm-hmm. a whole, whole take on that. Uh, Harold Perrineau, famous for yelling, Walt! Mm-hmm. On season two of uh, Lost, Monica Bellucci, she's uh, a bride of Dracula on Bram Stoker's Dracula. She's in The Brother of the Wolf, The Passion of the Christ, Irreversible. Woof, that last one. It's a tough movie to watch. Lambert Wilson. I, the Merovingian has only been in one other film that, I've, uh, that I recognize. It's Halle Berry's Catwoman. Seems oh, like Hollywood's okay. like, oh, we'll give you a chance. Nope, shutting all this shit down. Uh, Gina Torres. The thing that uh, she's most famous in my mind for is uh, is uh, uh, Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this so this this movie, the Matrix trilogy, has a reputation of it starts off with a bang and gets crappier and crappier as it goes on. I thought it'd be a good time here, 20, 20 years after premiere, to kind of reexamine that legacy. I'm sure we'll also talk about the third movie in November. Jim, what's your thoughts? How many times have you seen The Matrix Reloaded? Did you see it like what is at the theater? What What were your thoughts then? What are your thoughts now? Uh, of course I saw it when it was at the theater. Of course. Because I saw The Matrix in the theater. And how could you not go see the sequel to The Matrix in the theater? Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to wait and watch it on my 21-inch CRT monitor at home. That's for sure. Uh yeah, I haven't seen this movie too many times. Maybe three or four. Oh, wow. I guess you can add one now um, for this watch. But yeah, I, I definitely have not seen it as many as the original Matrix, which I've seen dozens of times. Because uh, I don't like it as much as the original Matrix, though I don't dislike it necessarily. I think 
I think it delivers a lot of what the original Matrix delivered, but maybe too much of a good thing. Um, and the ways in which they tried to expand on the first Matrix were reasonable, but also just don't quite work out for me. I, I don't know. I'm really torn on this movie. I, th- I think this is like it, it, the bridge to Sucktitude started here, and it's pretty. It, it's pretty okay. I don't know how you feel about it. Well, I have a scorching hot take, and I'm glad to hear you say that because we can actually fight about something. Uh, I think the Matrix trilogy is much like the Godfather trilogy. Oh, Jesus. that (laughs) the second one actually better than the first. And the Uh, third one. Well, you're wrong about that, but okay. (laughs) And the third one, while clearly the the lesser of the segments, uh, Mm -hmm. it still brings the, the saga to a satisfying conclusion. And is way better than people give it credit for. Okay, so I, I say that I can't argue about that because I do don't remember a single thing about the last movie except for the Zion attack. That's like that action scene is the only thing I remember in any detail. Yeah, I've only seen it like uh, th- two or three times. So I, I've seen this movie because I, I actually I think I've always felt this way that. I because because when this movie came out, a lot of people shit on it. And I'm like, when I got out of this movie, I'm like, I can't believe you guys were watching the same movie as I did. Like the action of anything is even better than the first one. I thought that they really kicked the door open mistakes (laughs) with the architect scene and the Oracle scene and like Mm -hmm. really getting to the nitty gritty. And then the revolutions came out and I kind of joined everybody else. I was like, well, okay, this is this is a fucking mess. But like I keep on coming back to especially Reloaded because I do think it's my I, I oh man, it's one of those things where the way I see the Godfather is I think Godfather one is the more entertaining film and it's just a pleasure to watch and it's pleasurable to rewatch. I think the Godfather two is the better film. It's more Deep complex film. and it it rewards multiple watchings. In a way that, you know, like I said, The Godfather, you, re- you rewatch it for the pleasure and the fun of being with your your old family and your old friends. But The Godfather 2 rewards like I can every single time I watch that film, I come up with something new to appreciate it. And I feel like the same way the 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 reloaded here um, that like pretty hot the, take. The, the Matrix might be the more entertaining film, but I think reloaded is is better. And I think the reason that uh, I. I there's there's a there's a thought tickling in the back of my head that the reason people don't like reloaded as much is because what it says about humans and society and philosophy is not as attractive as the matrix the matrix really? is about a man who will sacrifice everything to get the truth um and to attain enlightenment about himself and the world and mm-hmm. the second matrix posits that even with this information, you are no freer because if you are the one enlightened man in a world of unenlightened uh, uh, people that like it's just another system of control. And in this movie, it's mm-hmm. literally another system of control. The enlightenment is a is a as a pressure relief, a, a pressure valve for uh, tr- true re- rebellion, true societal change. Um, I, I like I said, I think that's really interesting, and I think those themes develop, and and to the extent that like those themes are developed and they pay off in in the third installment, if you're not open to those themes, which is kind of a you know kind of a bummer, 
that like, you know, self-enlightenment and self-improvement only goes so far. Eventually, you have to get other people's buy-on and, and you have to, you know, uh, foster community and you have to like, um, you know, uh, go out there and, and, and engage with the thing that's trying to hate you and destroy you and you're trying to hate and destroy it. And uh, um come up with it come up the way to, to to make peace with it i think those are those are really cool but like they're not as they're, they're not as appealing as the themes in the first movie so people kind of reject it yeah i think you're right um the philosophy of this movie is is there essentially whereas the original one doesn't have much of that um it, it is more about like the action sequences and you know, belief in yourself, that kind of thing. But like, it, it's not nearly as deep. I'll grant you that. I just think like the things that they do to make this a Matrix movie come off as a little bit cheesier than in the first movie. Like the first movie as a package is damn near perfect. Like if, if you never made any sequels to that, it would stand out as like an amazing film that still I think would hold up visually uh, over these 20 years. I can't think of a single shot in the Matrix that... Eh, eh. Maybe we know like there are rare we exception, did talk about but like, them, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, super rare exception. In this movie, they try and go bigger and better, and all of that stuff twenty years on ends up looking dated, like very I don't dated. Know all of the stuff, I, and and maybe we yeah, can that, find that about highway this too. fight scene is like the highlight and still mostly holds up. But like a hundred percent, the one that absolutely doesn't hold up. Um, well, anytime that Neo is like flying around, it doesn't really hold up, and then. That burly brawl is pretty cheesy looking now. Um, it's it's almost I almost want a remaster of this movie because I think it would be even better uh, if they were to uh. use modern effects on that. But yeah, that that stuff is like I don't know. This movie has a feel of like we've got to do more. We've got to do something bigger. We've got to show people something they haven't seen before, and we just did that in like a cinema defining way last like four years ago we yeah, need to do really it pioneering yeah and they were also a victim of their own success because they couldn't just do more of the matrix because in the 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 ensuing four years the hollywood just ran bullet time yeah. down our throat like its signature technological filmmaking achievement was just commoditized by the time the matrix reloaded mm -hmm. came out they were doing so it in commercials had. for for sure yeah like, yeah everybody yeah. was doing it yeah, you throw your buddy a Bud Light on the couch watching the game, and all of a sudden, yeah, and, and shits. But yeah, uh, I, even the Budweiser frogs are getting into it. I I think that um, this is true, and but they but I agree that they had to. There's no way they could just uh -huh. do the Matrix level and people not be disappointed. I do. I'm trying to think of like, did the Burly Brawl look brawl look ridiculous on the day of its release? No, I was also absolutely not. I I was blown okay. away by it. Okay. So this is all 20 years on because the mm. other thing is like I was paying I was I was paying a real close attention to the burly brawl and like the different phases it goes through. And I think 75 percent of the fight still holds up. And those are the 75 percent. It's essentially just the most insane wire for you you've ever seen. The second uh -huh. they start doing digital Keanu, yep. Yep. it gets a little rough. And I've got some thesis about why that is and what they could have done to improve it. But. Yeah, ultimately, again, they tried to exceed the Matrix uh, in terms of stunts, in terms of scope. Like, we get to see Zion. I think Zion looks amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the scenes that people, like, decry, I actually have grown to appreciate. <laughs> the rave yeah, scene. Yeah, maybe we can the, talk the about rave the rave sex scene. scene. 
Sure. 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 We'll get there. Uh, I, I think the, the opening of this movie is quite good. It's action packed enough. Like by, by the time you get 10 minutes to 15 minutes into this movie, you've seen like two fight scenes and granted there are small fight scenes. Uh, you've kind of set up the stakes for the, the movie um, that's going to last another two hours, which might be one of its flaws. Um, you've seen like, Neo has flown, which is another thing that you only get a glimpse of at the beginning of, or at the end of the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the Nebuchadnezzar, which is all CG, which still looks very good um, mm-hmm. on screen. I think that's CG. I assume that's a CG Nebuchadnezzar. That it might be a model. Might Who knows? Be a, uh, there's a lot of CGI assisted reality in this movie too. So it might uh-huh. be a model that they then, you know, CG to add stuff to you get two agent smiths with which blows your mind i mean they're they're trying to go bigger and better on everything and i think it it mostly works but it doesn't work as well as the original matrix worked because the matrix Mm. was so fresh and this was well we did something so fresh how the hell can we top that and i don't really think they could um I think the film, like CGI aside, uh, I think the film, I still continue to admire the film. I love the uh, like 90s grunge uh, cyber aesthetic of the interior Matrix stuff. I really like the mm-hmm. like mecha steampunk aesthetic that they've got going on in Zion. Uh, I think everything looks, the, the, the all the shots look amazing. Um, all the costume design uh, the character design, uh, the way the fights are designed and the storytelling in the fights. Because, uh, God, man, damn, there's so many great fights in this scene. Uh, you, you, if you, the Burly Ball is the, we, the, the weakest of them, and I agree. The freeway fight, the Merovingian foyer, foyer fight, uh, even even the little tense hallway fight, Morpheus, Neo, and the Keymaster V, V50 mm-hmm. Agent Smith, I think is 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 a great fight. Um, there's almost uh, it, too many it, it, fights. If, if I had to, if I had to say, like, okay, where does this go overboard on the style? Huh? It might be too many fights. Wow. Like, I don't know that I needed the Seraph uh, or whatever his name is to fight Neo. It's such. It's so weird how everyone individually breaks because, like, I think in some of the, especially John Wick three, I felt that where it's like, hmm, there's this, there's this too much shooting going on right now. I, mm-hmm. this, I'm, I, I want to get back to the film where we're, I'm, I'm losing the plot here. I guess I never felt that way about this film. Um, it, it feels like a pacing thing where they're like, we've had too much talking and slow scenes. We're about here. to do we, a lot of talking, right? We're going to do some more here and we need something to break that up. And I, I think it's right, but ultimately like it makes the whole thing feel like there's too much of it. There's too much mm-hmm. of it. Um, I even like individuals how they raise the stakes literally like, you know, uh, Neo beat agents last and then they're afraid of him last film. So what do we do? They bring back the agents. They're literally more powerful. They're visibly bigger. Like the smallest agent in the Matrix Reloaded is bigger than the biggest agent in uh, the first <laughs> the movie. Matrix. Like they're they're big. They got square lantern jaws. They got like bodybuilder physiques uh, and they're no longer really the apex predators in this environment. Mm-hmm. You've got the freed Agent Smith. You've got all the rogue programs, the Wraith Brothers. Uh, 
uh, all the Merovingians, flunkies, all these people are arguably as big a threat or as uh, as great a threat as the agents. And I think that's such a great way to um, to build out the world, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the music is great. Uh, the core characters are really appealing. In fact, the only humor this movie gets is kind of like their little interactions between each other. There's not, you know, there's there's this is a pretty grim movie except for some funny scenes and I always like the like Link's reaction to uh to, to Neo's daring yes. do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um what else do we want to talk talk about? And then like I said, then uh, the other thing that like is underpins and and maybe this is why I've appreciated it is like the idea that um the plot of the Matrix, its literal subtext was two trans women coming to grips with the nature of their reality, society's view of them and acceptance of them, and how best to fight against this the the systemic oppression they fought they they faced. Um, and the irony that this all got co opted by like extremely conservative elements in society, like taking the red pill online is synonymous mm-hmm. with like, stop believing everything that feminists and, uh, uh, critical race theorists tell you. And, and essentially re- return back to fifties era, uh, levels of understanding about sociology. That's just a cherry mm-hmm. on the cake for me or cherry on the top, cherry on the, the ice yeah. cream, ice, on uh, the cake, uh-huh. icing on the cake. Do we have any other non-spoiler thoughts about the 20th anniversary of the Matrix Reloaded, or should we get into it? Should we fight? Yeah, we we can fight. I th- I feel like you're going to be fighting a burly brawl because most people don't like this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, like I said, I got a preview of this on Twitter. It was not a it's not uh-huh, a popular opinion. Uh-huh. It's not a popular. But you know, of course, I didn't I didn't really uh, uh, properly defend it either. I just I just threw it out there. Sure, as all um, good hot takes are done. Yeah, you just throw it out there and one, let people react. One similarity about um, the Matrix trilogy and the Godfather trilogy, other than the obvious correctness of the second one being the be- the sneaky, the better one, is uh, they both had a actor who held out mm. for various reasons, and it harmed the material. Uh, a brief uh, word on the Godfather. I can't remember if we talked about this in, in our Godfather podcast, but like losing Clemenza, I think, is big in the Godfather too. Like, as much as I like Frankie Pentangelo's, if you think of all those scenes with Clemenza, they're a uh-huh. million times better. They're so much better. Like, that scene of him drunk in the, you know, you don't even know who the fuck this guy is and, like, what the hell he's doing and he's drunk at Michael's. and he go- Like, if Clemenza's there, you already know he had beef from the old movie and you can think about that, like, kind of rolling forward. It, it continues the story and, like, you lose so much. And I every time I watch The Godfather 2, I'm like... How much did Clemenza want? Holy shit. Can we pay the tubby <laughs> right. Italian man another 50 grand and make this movie even more amazing? That's the thing about these disputes, these these disputes over money. They always seem so petty. Like this movie made, it, it became the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. And they oh, did not want to wow. pay the dude. Yeah, it beat out Terminator 2 on that scale. Uh, they did not want to pay the dude who played Tank to come back. So Marcus Chong, who we're talking about, um, mm-hmm. they offered him four hundred thousand dollars. He counted countered with a million. That is and that is you pay that money. You pay that money. I think so too. It's chump so like, change for this film. It made eight hundred million dollars. 
most of the commentary I see ref, um, revolves around Mr. Chong's outsized reaction to being written out of the film. Like the Wachowskis are like, we're going to give you 400,000. Um, and yeah, he's, he's like, I want a million. And then he sues them and he starts saying a whole bunch of crazy shit and saying that Keanu's stealing money from the behind the scenes folks and that the Wachowskis are trying to blacklist him in Hollywood. And, and, and this is like, um, see, you know, he's, he's labeled as difficult to work with and he's essentially, he's never done work in Hollywood again. But I, I, every time I see Link and I, you know, nothing against, uh, uh, a Michael from Lost here, but every time I see Link scenes where he's like dramatically reacting to Neos and I think about Tank being there instead, again, it's a million times better. Hmm. Like a guy who, who, who pulled an all nighter teaching his kid Kung Fu and now he's seeing like Jesus Christ flying around like Superman. Maybe uh, from a it's character, so much better. From a character, like story perspective, but as far as acting goes, I like Harold Perrineau better than the the guy who played tank for sure i mean maybe he's a better actor but like all i need tank is to be charismatic and like Mm -hmm. have outsized reactions to things that's going on and i think he's better than than uh parano i guess in in that thing and the continuity is better too yeah i do wonder if they even do a scene like the scene of him coming home uh to his partner uh well i think they they bring back tank right because like you you would still have lost Dozer, but like, right? T- Tank is is the one that like they had to explain, right? But I to me it's like there is like two sentences in the script that change to mm-hmm. make Link into Tank, and it's the homecoming scene instead of Z being upset that like, um my this ship killed both of my brothers. Z could just be his sister, mm-hmm. and this ship has already killed one of my brothers. You got lucky to survive at one time. You can't keep going out there, Tank. You can't keep going out there. And then that pays off. And mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I, I think it works better than being brother and sister than like husband and wife. But you could also, um, you know, that could, you could still have that be his, his wife. And, you know, they're originally talking to uh, Dozer's wife who didn't, wasn't so lucky. Her husband didn't come back. Like, but it, it, I feel there's like one or two sentences that change mm-hmm. and uh, Tank becomes Link, which is probably why the Wachowskis are like, fuck you. We're not going to pay $600,000. We're going to pay, you know, 30 wire, wire guys from, from Hong Kong for a week instead. Um, but it it does suck. It does it does it, it's not as big a downgrade as uh, Clemenza to Pentangelos, but it's a bi- it's I think a downgrade, and it's it's a part of the movie where they have to slow down and explain shit, mm-hmm. which would have just flowed if they'd kept Tank. Yeah, in a movie where they necessarily already had to do that with the Oracle, right? Yeah. Well, so, the so will they created next a, the next second, movie, yeah. a second a uh, second problem. Yeah. Right, That's but another... they, they were filming all of this like at the same time, essentially. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like this these, and, these and filmed revolutions. Simultaneous one that the uh, you know the the Lord of the Rings had showed everyone the way. If you got an expensive trilogy, shoot that shit consecutively. Share the pre production, yeah. post production costs. Yeah, saves a lot of money. Saves enough to pay your actors what they're asking. I might, I might add. Yeah. C- can I say I? I don't know that these movies needed to be made. I, I said that kind of in the the beginning of this podcast. I think The Matrix as a standalone package is damn near perfect. Um, doesn't need any sequels. You can imagine where it goes from there. Uh, I would never have imagined that it went where 
reloaded and revolutions go and and resurrections go but i didn't necessarily need sequels i kind of blame george lucas for all of this um for (laughs) whatever bad stuff happens when they make a great movie and then try and make sequels to pad it out to a trilogy because he kind of like set that template of we're going to make three movies based on this property and we're going to really push to make that happen I think so many people saw the success of Star Wars in Hollywood and were like, we want to replicate that. How do you do it? You do it with three movies. And so everything became a trilogy. That was like the gold standard. I I don't know what to make about it being all George Lucas' fault because by the time <laughs> George Lucas picked up his pen, wasn't Godfather 1 and 2 already in existence? Now, it wasn't intended to be a trilogy. But, but also, the third like, one didn't come out until after Star Wars. Right, 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 right. But also, like, what you said about it, like, I don't know that we needed any more movies. I think you could say that about almost any, any trilogy except for maybe the Lord of the Rings trilogy because oh, that course, is yeah. definitely stops and there, it begs questions. Whereas, and it has so much material that it's impossible yeah. to cover in a single film. Yeah, like the Godfather, it is a definitive ending. You don't need any more Godfather. Mm-hmm. It tells a complete self-contained tale. Uh, same thing with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Same thing with Star Wars, especially. Star Wars tells his tale and finishes it, and you don't need any more of the Star Wars. It's like, mm-hmm. I wanted more. I definitely wanted more uh, Matrix. Like, when they said that they were doing uh, turning this into a trilogy, I'm like, fuck yes because like when i walked out of the the matrix and neo flew it's like you got you want to know what happens next right oh sure. but it's like yeah that when when you find out a couple years later that they actually are going to do it uh i got incredibly excited um oh i was super excited for this movie yeah we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause and now back with more bald move but it's one of those like, yes, when we talk about in the baldies, the high risk versus reward, mm-hmm. like anytime you're like, OK, uh, this is a great thing that doesn't really ask any questions and is self-contained. When you come back and do it again, you are risking the thing that's amazing about the first one to continue to try to make more. Yeah. And this is a case where it didn't really work out for them. I think if they had stopped at the Matrix the reputation of the matrix would be off the charts good everyone who sees it would love it the fact that we have revolutions uh kind of kills that i think everybody has to take it as a piece now and they go well that third movie kind of sucks yeah i don't know man i if it sucks i think it sucks in the exact same way the godfather 3 or return of the jedi sucks which is in comparison to its peers but also it provided a satisfying and kind of necessary vital end to the series like i think you need a godfather 3 after godfather 2 you know you have to have michael has to be brought down he has to pay a cost yeah he can't keep getting away with this right Mm -hmm. um and that, like, if you, yeah, you should, if you leave well enough alone, the Matrix, uh, everything's well and good. But if you do the re- Reloaded, you have to do the Revolutions because you have to provide uh, a finish to this. You have to figure out, like, what is going to be after Zion. Um, oh, so, yeah. I mean, you could not do a third movie after this one. I mean, even just leaving, uh, what's, I, I don't remember his name, the, the, the new uh judas in this one 
the Smith. Oh, Bane. 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 Yeah, yeah, Bane. Even just having Bane in there, you've got to finish that story. But one thing yeah. I admire about this movie is like, you know, anytime you have a super powerful character, and you see this in video games all the time, you finish God of War and you just killed Ares, and you are as powerful as a god of Mount Olympus. And then in God of War 2, you got to go back and start pulling Harpy's wings off and fighting little tiny dudes you know mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. the fuck and they always 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 find a way to depower you right yeah. you 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 go to hell and your the powers of olympus wash off in the river sticks or i can't remember all the different ways they they make uh kratos into immortal in the in in this case like they never do that um everything else just gets more powerful to counter neo like he has to fight 100 agent smiths now and uh for their uh, credit like morpheus and neo get or i'm sorry morpheus and trinity presumably because they hang around neo and spar with yeah. him and whatnot they are noticeably more powerful in these movies as well significantly uh, yeah I mean, and I, then you've got the the you know all like i said all the like werewolves vampires wraiths merovingian type characters that raise the stakes as well and i i just really admire the way that they they found the way to continue to let neo be essentially superman in this universe but but also raise the stakes and the challenges around him mm-hmm. yeah and I, the, I think it works pretty well and there's a nice there's a continuing nice symmetry that like neo is all powerful within the matrix but he is powerless to do anything about the physical reality where there's hmm. uh is quarter he? million is sentinels he? well that's where we get to the end of the movie but like that's one yeah, of the things throughout I this movie like it, yeah that's one of the core frustrations between the people like Locke and the people like morpheus is that people like Locke is like there we have a real world you guys are born in this fucking fantasy world and are all consumed by it. Meanwhile, we have a real world that, um, you know, you guys are completely ignoring in favor of your prophecies and your matrix bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's interesting that like you've got natural born humans of Zion and Locke is one of them. And it's so weird. It's like, it's, it's like if, if, you know, we had people in, in this world that like were bo- like were born in heaven and then came to earth. And like, you know, they can understand the earthly perspective. We could never understand their like heavenly perspective. Right. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of that going on where the people who are in the matrix uh, believe in Neo in a way that some of the um, the, the homegrown, the Zion born humans don't. And I, I like that complexity they add there, too. Yeah, because I mean, Neo is a product of their own system, right? It's it's. They they understand his importance, I guess, in a way that. A lot of people wouldn't. And and that's the thing about like Morpheus, particularly in this movie. He is a religious zealot, um, which obviously he's always been that, but it really stands out in this movie where he's trying to convince everybody that the prophecy is real and that uh, they will be saved by, you know, his, his vision or whatever that he's got in the future, what the Oracle told him. Uh, and it turns out that that is... I guess I I would be more offended by it or I would be less on his side if this were looked at through a typical religion of our world. Like if this were not about uh, whether or not Neo was the one and going to stop the machines from restoring Zion, but if this was about like whether Jesus is going to come back and, and fight in the Armageddon Wars, like that that would like lose me instantly. Whereas with Morpheus, I kind of see, you know what he's talking about. 
Well, I mean, it's that, that's where it breaks down because, like, um, if I lived in Galilee around the, I don't know, 29 CE or whatever, and I saw a man walking on water and turning water into wine and raising people from the dead and curing the lepers and the blind, fuck, I might be down with him being the son of God, you know? That seems like some real... Sure. And, and I've seen it, and some of my friends have seen it, and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I don't know that Morpheus has faith. Morpheus has uh, confidence in the things that he's observed continuing as a trend. And that's the difference mm -hmm. between what we got. And it's like if, you know, if Morpheus was a true zealot in the first movie where he is he had faith that the one was going to return mm -hmm. and he thought and he was trying to go out and find and he's trying to find but now like now his faith has been rewarded and it's now turned into confidence. And that's like there's a great line where it's like Locke's like, damn it, Morpheus, not everyone believes the way you do. And he's like, my beliefs don't require it. Um, yeah, I like that because like, there's a man of convictions. It's like, yeah, I don't care if ever, you know, like, like I will try to convince people, I'll try to sh sh uh, show them what I've seen and tell them what I know. But at the end of the day, I have to act on my beliefs. Like if I believe this is the thing, like, cause I, I mean, that's the thing that also I think is cool is that Locke is also seen as kind of a fool. Mm -hmm. There is no way for humanity. One to ship will not make a difference in this battle. No. No, there's no there. There's not all the literally all the ships in Zion, all the exos frames, all of the mm -hmm. bazookas, all of the arc welders in Zion are not. There's there's literally one sentinel for every man, woman and child in the Matrix. They're going to die. Mm -hmm. They're going to die. So like Morpheus is a Hail Mary, but like Hail Mary's is kind of all you got. Um, but I, I like that because like, again, Locke is like, well, even if this is hopeless, it's more hopeful than your fantasy bullshit. Sure, sure. Yeah, and then I liked it at the end where, you know, the Neo says the prophecy turns out to be a lie. It isn't really. It isn't really. Neo just made the choice not to make this prophecy come true, right? Because if you're looking at it, like, it would have saved Zion from a certain point of view. You can Obi-Wan Kenobi your way into this where you say, <laughs> well, if Zion is, you know, the, the remainders of this equation that is meant to pull up and gather here so that it can be destroyed and and later rebuilt i mean zion would have been saved it's the only choice he made the choice not to save zion right yes. and every but every one of his predecessors made the opposite choice and that is that is where like the prophecy was true five times the prophecy failed well, the, the prophecy is time. the one will return and 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 free us right and set us all free that's the lie the one returns and 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 completes the illusion of choice and reroll. See, that's the stuff that mm -hmm. I don't. The, the, there's some stuff that I don't quite fully understand, or I think you have to go with. They're playing fast and loose. Sure, I don't sure. understand like what is Neo a person or is Neo a program? Like is like sure. so. So I the, mean, to me, I think the story the the story they're telling, I think, is that uh the Matrix only works if humans have a choice to accept it because they mm -hmm. know on mm -hmm. some level that what their their reality isn't real yeah every human born has that subconscious realization that 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 you can feel the matrix right like what they say in the first one um and as a pressure release valve any human that is caused distress or is obsessed with the idea that it's not real they allow them to see that no yeah you're you're right it's not real and escape to zion once that reaches a critical mass where Zion can start to threaten the stability of the system, because mm -hmm. I don't think it's literally like a software flaw. 
I think it's literally like once you get a couple million humans on the outside, continuing to go into the matrix, jack in, hack, it fucks up things enough that the whole crop d- dies. They then restart everything. They well, I with, think it's with... twofold. The matrix fails because it is a software. It, it's so it's not a glitch in the software. It's just a fundamental nature of humanity makes the software program they're trying to write impossible. Right, right. Once once humans are outside the control of the matrix, they do human things and they fuck up the matrix. Well, yeah, that's um, the second element is the outside part. So I think that the Neo is a human body, sure, but I think all of his brains are literally because they, they show that Agent Smith can rewrite a human's brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the the Matrix does with with the one. They choose one human child, probably at random, and they fill its brain. They fill its brains full of the one programming, and then, and I and I think this is referenced by there's that first scene where you see the two Agent Smiths meeting each other, mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, it's happening exactly as before." And the one raises his eyebrow and says, "Well, not exactly." Is Agent Smith a part of the one program? Because Agent Smith seems to have some awareness after the last movie that he has been through cycles of this, too. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely drawing big parallels between Smith and Neo. And I'm not sure if that makes them one and the same, but there is a lot of that uh, that that motif of, of, you know, machines needing humans and humans needing machines and, like, the the intertangled nature of some of these uh, people and machines is definitely all over this movie. So I could see that if they are, in fact, like part of the same program. Well, let me see if I can convince you, because like I think there's so many um, counterpoints, like there's so much yin and yang, uh-huh. um, like the architect versus um, the oracle, oracle. mother, yep. father. I think that neo's love for humanity is the carrot that motivates him but Mm. agent smith is the stick like agent Mm. smith is designed to want to become all consuming all powerful and by his like slowly taking over the matrix he's essentially killing all those humans because what makes us human is our minds uh, our husks sitting in the the floating goo is not what makes us human so like if 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 neo doesn't return to the source the software instability is agent smith and he will run amok and he'll destroy humanity anyway. That's what kind of I think the architect is hinting at. It's like if you do nothing, uh, humanity will be wiped out because we're not going to stop mm-hmm. the Zion assault and the Matrix right. will be destroyed. So there will be no humans left alive. And then we, us machines, will have to huddle around, uh, you know, eking out some kind of substandard existence. But we'll be alive and you won't. So that'll be our problem to solve and not yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that's I think that's that's really cool. It's not never explicitly st- stated, but I do think that Neo's love for humanity is the carrot. Agent Smith is the stick because it it doesn't allow the one to just sit back and be like, okay, I want I want to just wait and see what happens. Yeah, it's tough because I think that Agent Smith is a product partly of his interactions with Neo too. I mean, they they make a big deal about that in this movie and. You could almost say he was infected by the virus of Neo, uh, giving him choice, right? He's one of these rogue programs now that has chosen not to go back to the source. So the, that's what I was going to say. What do you think is different than happened before? Oh, when, when, overall, uh, in this yeah, iteration yeah, yeah. of the Matrix? 
Is it um, that it's Neo the, jumped inside Agent Smith, and he'd ne- no Neo, no one had ever jumped maybe? inside the antagonist program and corrupted it? That's possible. Um, yeah, the architect seems to put the the finger on the specific love that Neo has for the one person Trinity, right? Um, as opposed to a generalized love for humanity, which the other five predecessors have. And I don't know that that's entirely true, but it seems like a fairly good explanation. I mean, he only makes a choice he makes because of his love for the specific person. Right. But is, is it is is it true? So, like, my I guess my other question is, is the or did the Oracle know this? Did the Oracle know that after so many permutations, there would be, because of happenstance, because of random chance... The one manifesting its program love for humanity to be an individual rather than a collective. And that was going to be her moment to try to make a synthesis. I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not sure if so. I think it ha- I think the answer is um, it has to be. It has to be correct. And at some level, the architect had to be aware of it, too. Yeah. So so that's the thing like that really it is impressed upon me watching the end of this movie is the difference in the way the machines view this uh it, this program right and when i mean program i mean the matrix um in general the way they view it versus the way humanity views it versus the way like the architect and the oracle view it because i mean th- you know there's some like traditional oh the the mother is nurturing and the father is you know the trying to make all mm-hmm. the, doing all the work trying to make the system work and everything there's a bunch of that stuff in there but also th- they view it as just an experiment you know it's it's this is a version of the matrix that we're trying out and if it doesn't work fine we'll keep going you know um whereas this is this is it for humans right if this version mm-hmm. doesn't work it seems like they're just going to shut the whole program down and humanity is going to be destroyed. Well, and, it's and I like don't this know permutation. that that's the Oracle's goal. I, I'm not sure why that would be the Oracle's goal is to well, push them out of, but, but I don't remember any of the next movies. So maybe they explain all this. Well, yeah, yeah. Cause there is a scene with the architect and the, and the Oracle at the end of the third one that I'm basing uh-huh. a lot of this off of, but like also like my evidence that the, the architect and the Oracle are some level colluding with each other is because like the architect's got to know that what's going on with agent Smith is different this time. If <laughs> indeed it is. And the matrix is still a, is, is openly abetting agent Smith. Because, you know, the Sentinels okay. destroyed the ship that Bane was on and left only him alive. What if mm-hmm. if 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 the, if the if the architect saw Smith as an as an existential threat to the Matrix, why wouldn't he just let Bane get killed? Yeah, fair. Because because Bane is trying throughout this whole movie to kill Neo before he can return to the source because Agent Smith's sole motivation is to continue to perpetuate himself. Mm-hmm. He wants to maximize his own control and freedom. Yeah. And he does that you know uh by escaping the matrix into bane uh he preserves himself through this i guess cascade failure of the matrix but i think he's also his he's got this idea that like and i don't know maybe it's true maybe maybe the architect sees like an all because like that's one thing that i asked myself in the first movie it's like well why if if the if the machines just need our body heat why not just keep us in a vegetative state why Mm -hmm. give us like all these intense fantasies and simulations and let us live out a normal life 
Um, Agent Smith's plan seems to be kind of that. Like, if everyone in the Matrix just becomes Agent Smith, then they don't have to worry about the humans. Like, everything's very orderly, and those bodies will continue to pump out 98.6 for the rest of their natural lives. And everything will be everything that was chaos will be order, and the humans still ha- and the machines still have their humans, and like I think there is an implication that that might be something the architect sees as like ah this is this is a way because I don't think he likes the messy human factor. He doesn't yeah. like that there's an intuitive part into his system. He, he's um, grown he's, jaded with it, right? Um, he like. At first, he tried to create this beautiful matrix, and he realized over the course of many attempts that it was doomed to failure because of the essential quality of humanity. Right, right. We don't want things to be easy. We don't want things to be cheap. We want things to be... We want problems always. We want a choice. I mean, that is what it comes down to. We want to make choices. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about a a couple other... So... Like I said, I think the overall, there's like a lot of depth and complexity to just the underlying kind of like plot. And I don't know, maybe I'm coming across as like a guy who's like, well, actually, Palpatine's plan in The Phantom Menace is brilliant. <laughs> but like, I, I think it, uh, I, I think, I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of, of complexity about like, you know, who is really on whose side, you know? And I think or, the Oracle is not necessarily on the side of the humanity. Does she just really wants a truth mm-hmm. synthesis to happen here? Just like I think the Wachowskis were trying to, in the third movie, synthesize the um, self-actualization and realization and seeking truth of the first movie with a cynicism and pessimism and truth is just another control of the second movie with a harmonious synthesis of that cynicism and idealism in the third movie, which is essentially we all have to find a way I mean, it's it's the thesis that is in all these, you know, uh, power struggles between a, um, a David and Goliath. You know, uh, this is the thesis of the expanse is at some point we have to get over our petty differences and our squabbles and who hurt who and focus on how do we make a, the future better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in between this movie and the last movie, they had released Animatrix, which revealed that humans kind of did a lot to push the robots into the murderous path. Mm-hmm. You know, like we did not treat them very well at all. And the robots tried to engage with us on good faith many, many times. So it's <laughs> like, yeah, like, I like your characterization of the architect as like uh, jaded. You know, He is, yeah. And, and to speak to kind of the, the nature of the Oracle, the Oracle is is a machine that's working to try and fix the problem that the matrix always has right i mean this is this is a the the current iteration of the matrix is her attempt to fix the problem uh of choice to give humanity enough choice that they can accept the matrix and live in it and then every once in a while they'll do a little housekeeping a little a little trash cleanup right and destroy Zion, destroy the, or have the one come back to the source, disseminate his code, and we can kind of do a big reset on the Matrix for another who knows how long. Um, so she is definitely working with the machine. She's I, I don't think she's like an antagonist to the architect. I think they're they're no, working I don't think she in wants harmony. To die. If the humans won absolutely, uh-huh. she would die. I don't think she wants to die. Yeah, they're working in harmony on the next version of the Matrix that is hopefully going to be the version of the Matrix that humans will accept and and can come yeah. to a balance. But yeah, no, I th- I think, but, the... but I don't think the the I don't know her being able to like 
tell the future and seeming to care more about Neo's fate than the architect does um, and wanting him to sort of break out of this and understand his choices and all this stuff. I, I don't think it's like saying that she is working against the machines in any way. She's just a part of the system that's designed to bring Neo back. Well, I mean, it just depends on like how you see them, like who is the leader of the machines. If it's the architect, then I think she is working against them because the architect is trying to eliminate the garbage, mm-hmm. you know, the leftover stuff, the, the refuse. He doesn't. That's that's untidy. He doesn't like the fact that they have to get a dustbin, do garbage collection every epoch or so. Sure, but the whole and system the, is of, of the Oracle's making. Mm, I thought the Oracle provided like. Like like the Oracle solution was essentially the pressure valve, but mm-hmm. it's not like I, yeah. I I think that's a, a modification to the architect system. I don't know architect is she's a complicit in the enslavement of humanity for sure. But but like I said, what she wants is but that's not what she wants. Like the architect wants to eliminate the garbage. She wants to eliminate the oppression. She wants to be like like what what like she is essentially Counselor Hammond on the machines where he's like yes sure the machines are bad and these machines are good because we control them. But like he's trying to help Neo to appreciate that from the humans, the machines perspective, the humans are the same way. These humans outsider control are dangerous because they can go and fuck up our shit. These humans insider systems are good because they provide us necessary resources just the way the machines in Zion, you know, treat their waste and provide them power and do all the automation and all that kind of stuff. Like the, the counselor Hammond is the analog of the Oracle to the humans uh, and the machines. Hmm. I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I I don't I don't see the Oracle as as benevolent as you do. I guess I see her as part of the system that is ensla- actively enslaving humanity. She's just trying to smooth out the wrinkles of that system. She's well, complicit like in the, all of it. The Union soldiers were in part of the system that was, that enslaved African Americans during the Civil War, but they were still fighting against it. Right? They were still in the society that they were like. That was the whole. That's the whole Civil War. Uh, so like, yes, uh huh. But but she's, but she's she's like, not just another soldier, right? She was brought in to solve the problem of why don't these slaves want to be slaves? Well, maybe we can fix our our slavery system, not abolish. Maybe the slavery is a bad idea here. Uh, yeah. She doesn't say that. She says maybe I can fix this the problem with slaves rebelling by giving but them did, some illusion of but choice. Did she or did she but it bore is that indeed or did she set the the course of the inevitable reconciliation between the uh, I guess slaves I, and masters? It, it, I don't think from the outset that was the plan. Like it's also really messy because like I said the animatrix makes it clear that humanity were the original oppressors, original enslavers sure, and sure. the machines were the original slaves and like we only see it as uh you know, like like from from the human humanity's limited perspective, all they see and their and, and all they know their own history, it's the opposite. But like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I I think from the outset of of the program, this latest version of the Matrix that has had now six iterations, she she was definitely not trying to liberate anybody. She was trying to keep them enslaved because uh, I. Mm. I, I mean, perhaps she was trying to keep them alive because I imagine the architect would have just said, well, we're prepared to accept a certain level of survival. Let's just kill all of humanity. Okay, okay. So that that, that was actually, I was going to make this later on, but that's the next, another point I wanted to make. It's interesting because like, you know, 20 years now we are in, we are at the dawn of AI, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we have general artificial intelligence yet, but like we're anywhere between five and 50 years away from it being uh, a fucking reality. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's given us a lot of interesting uh, kind of ways to think about this. So one of the things that come out of the AI, you know, you got these you got these people that are saying like AI is going to kill us and it's inevitable unless we get our AI alignment right. Now, what that means is like um, if you let AI just develop general intelligence, who knows what kind of like intelligence it might become. Mm-hmm. Um, it might decide to, you know, you give it, uh, you know, the canonical example is if you tell a machine to make paper clips and you give it general artificial intelligence. It might find a way that the best optimum way to make paper clips is to destroy the earth to do so you just make mm-hmm. turn the entire earth into paper clips right just nothing left but a ball of paper clips at the end no humans no water no that's obviously bad because the ai is not aligned with the goals of humanity yes you want to make paper clips but also it's within the understanding that that it's for the good of humankind that you're producing paper clips so mm-hmm. your your idea of success of making paper clips is when you fully met the paper clip demand then you can kind of like chill about the making paper clips what I think is interesting is like in, in this matrix, it posits the idea that AI isn't even aligned with itself. That like the Oracle was created to solve the problem of why the slaves don't like slavery. But because she is a self-aware program with thoughts and feelings, she has decided to that that is not her only purpose, that what she really wants to do is synthesize a relationship between the man and the machine. So, so she's like, is herself think, a rogue program. Exactly she's no right. part of the exactly system. Right. Hmm. And that's what it's like. I think it's giving a new wrinkle to think about some of these AI debates is like, we're so worried the AI are not in alignment with ourselves, but what is going to align all the AIs versus each other? <laughs> sure. There will be different AIs. Yeah. It's not going to be. And it's like, and then if you're, thing. then it's like, if you're, if our worry is that like, well, what happens if we have some super powerful thing impose its will against our will to our detriment? I say, oh man, that's never happened in human history before. That's a unique, that was a unique thing for you. I can't n- never before in the history of world has a power greater than oneself imposed its will on 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 a a group of humanity and regardless of what they wanted just took the resources took their lives did whatever they wanted with no like that's that's never happened before and it'll be a unique moral thing for us to wrestle with but like the fact that like <laughs> there might be an ai that's like yeah i just want to make paper clips and there might be another ai that's like well yeah but i just want to take human take care of humans and give them the best lives possible, and that's what makes me happy. And that they actually resist and fight each other. And like, sure. you know, who's your money on the paper, the 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 metal bender, or the the <laughs> the one that wants to kind of like, you know, be the Gandhi for humans and machines? And I, I guess I think that's what the Oracle is. So you're you're seeing her as like a committed part of the system, mm-hmm. and the things that she's doing are at the end of the day just to perpetuate the architect's goal of enslaving humanity. Where, like I say, if that was her original purpose, she has um, outgrown it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. But, but there's also a lot of talk about free will in this movie, mm-hmm. which is another thing I've been thinking a lot about ever since the fucking last season of Westworld and our conversation <laughs> with Aaron Rabinowitz. Uh-huh. Um, do we want to do, do we want to do we want to get into that part this where talk about the Merovingian scene? Well, I, I, so let's start with the 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 let's keep with the oracle mm-hmm. um, that she t- they talk about in the free will and then like I think her perspective is the humans don't have free will. Yeah, the, the, um, all the stuff about you've already made the choice. You just need to understand why you made it. 
what the fuck does that mean? Because here, this is the this is my um, I, th this is like I, I still I keep thinking about a conversation with uh, with Rabinowitz, uh, the philosophy and space um, dude. I don't if, if, if free will literally doesn't mean anything, we don't have any free will at all. I don't understand why anyone gets the motivation to do anything because it's just going to happen the way it's going to happen. And like what mm -hmm. what why do you why would you care about understanding a choice you made? Unless that choice, that that understanding allows you to make better choices in the future. So, so here's I, here's why I think the why I was what, working on the say, presumption. Well, can I say two, like two more yeah, sentences yeah. and then? So, like it follows from that that like if you have no like if you come into a situation you don't have any free will because you're gonna you're going you are the sum total of your life experiences and this the set of your your brain machine and you're gonna make the choices you're gonna uh, you're gonna you're gonna make. But if you understand that choice, that gives you new information that necessarily changes the state of who you are and allows you to make better choices in the future. And to me, that is something of free will. It's not like instantaneous in the moment, 365, seven days a week free will, but it's more free will than I think the, um, uh, the what, what's the opposite of free will? What did they call it? The um, determinist, the determinist yeah, yeah. thing. Well, I mean, all you right. can just chain all those choices and say, well, the choice you made here, yes, it changed your nature, but that was always destined to happen because you made the choice you made. And now that you understand it, you're going to make the choice you're going to make in the future because of that. And okay, that's okay. always been part of it. Let me stop you there. Mm -hmm. But it seems like from the Oracle's point of view, it's possible to not understand your choice. Sure. And that would also lead into choice, the next you... choice that you're going to make because you didn't understand the previous choice you're going to make. It, it, so uh, understanding has to change something. It has to. It has to. Or this whole philosophy falls apart, I believe. Yes, but it doesn't change the cause and effect loop is the thing, right? It doesn't change that fundamental thing of causality where whether or not you understand it, I guess, would change the outcome of the next decision or change what decision you would make next. But it doesn't mean that it like happened in a way that it wasn't supposed to happen, right? You I never guess got to, understanding. You never got to choose the next. So, so the understanding next is an understanding is also a matter of It's just a causality. variable. Yeah, it's it's just like, oh, okay, you understood it and therefore this next choice is already predestined, you know. Maybe it's just I just don't I just deeply don't like that philosophy because honestly after that conversation I had with Aaron I came, I, I went into a bit of a philosophical and political funk where I'm like well if this is hmm. true then I don't know why I care about anything I literally well the don't. Matrix doesn't like that philosophy either and, and and so this is why I think like why I was working under the assumption that the Oracle is part of the system working to push Neo into the choice he needs to make here which is the same choice that his previous five predecessors made. Um, mm -hmm. And, and they expect him to make it a certain way. I don't think that the Oracle or the architect are willing are, are willing to, and this is why I say this is the point of view of the movie, that causality is not the defining factor. It's that humans have a choice. They're somehow able to break a cause and effect loop by choosing something. Um, but the Oracle seems to think that humans are stuck in that loop and that if she can push neo in this particular way toward this particular end that the system will perpetuate itself and why i say that is because when she says like you just need to understand the choice you've made i, I want to say she's talking about the previous five predecessors making the choice to save humanity to perpetuate the matrix 
and she does not she can't actually tell the future here right this they call her the oracle but she's not actually telling the future she's running a program that is expected to work in a certain way and she maybe doesn't see the bug in the program which is trinity and neo's connection and the choice that he's willing to make to go save her so she is pushing him to get him to the point where he goes to the architect and he the thing he needs to understand about his choice is why he makes the choice to save humanity because it's more important than a single person or because he loves humanity and wants to see humanity perpetuate right doesn't want but them something all different happens this time and like right it's a flawed system where, that I don't think the Oracle sees, but I could be wrong. See, I, I don't Oracle, remember the third I, movie. <laughs> I think the Oracle is counting on it, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to, like I said, we'll have to continue this on uh, November. And I, I don't want to, because like next I want to talk about the Merovingian. But before we go on that, I got to say, I think the Oracle is 90% of what makes these movies work. Like, okay, the Oracle... Yeah as played by uh, Gloria Foster, is as vital a role as Anthony Hopkins is in, like, The Silence of the Lambs. He mm. just, she mm-hmm. just effortlessly makes this shit work. Yeah. She sells something, like, fundamentally ridiculous, and her entire performance, her costuming, everything allows that to work, and she's in the movie about as much as Anthony Hopkins was in Hannibal, and it kind of, like, pisses me off that she didn't get any kind of, like broader recognition the way he did for that but yeah mm-hmm. i just want to make that like yeah she is amazing and like it's a damn shame she dies before yeah. she could finish her role in the third film but i also when we get to that third film i actually like what the wachowskis did with that role it's like we can't ever replace and we're going to reframe it as the oracle has been through some experience that cost her some things and the things that cost her were her <laughs> some of her humanity and and charm apparently huh yeah that's her, what I think they're uh, going with it anyway. Residual self-image. <laughs> Sorry. Can't have that. Um, do we want to talk about the Merovingian or do we want to talk about the Burly Ball Brawl? Uh, I mean, if you want to stay on the cause and effect topic, we should. On the okay, let's go to the Because uh, I want to drop a bombshell on you at the Merovingian. Mm-hmm. Do you agree that Neo Trinity and Morpheus were not sent to meet the Merovingian? This whole scene is actually them meeting Persephone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the Merovingian in no world gives a shit about anything that Neo and Trinity and Morpheus are trying to do or sell here. He has no interest and there's no way they can move him. But Persephone is so put off by her husband's bullshit and lack of passion, a lack of interest in her, that she eventually is the key that allows them to unlock the rest of the goal. And I think that was intended by the Oracle the entire time. She says, go meet the Merovingian, but she's really saying, go meet Persephone. Yeah, I think you're right about that. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Um, the Merovingian seems to think he is more powerful than he is but if he's aware of his lack of power he's aware of the matrix as a structure he's aware of the architect he's aware of the previous five uh neos he's aware of all of that and yet i I guess he's bought in i don't know he's part of the system so he's bought in just as much as the rest of them to the idea that this is just a system that needs to be you know housekept 
Yeah, and he wants uh, more power within the system because power is more control, and more control is the only real currency that you have in this this system. The ability to transcend what you are and to not, you know, return to the source. I actually think mm-hmm. so. I was messing around, and I haven't quite cracked it yet. Maybe I'll get it for in time for November's um, Revolutions podcast. But like, I had this like axis that you've got like an axis of chaos versus order and freedom versus control. Sure. And like there's some kind of quadrilogy here between Agent Smith, the Oracle, the Architect and the Merovingian. Mm -hmm. And like the Architect you think is the opposite of the Oracle, but I think he's the opposite of the Merovingian. Uh, The Architect is all about order and control. And I think the Merovingian is all about freedom and control. Like, okay, yeah. I mean, not for, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the Agent Smith so is freedom and chaos. Is chaos and yeah, chaos and freedom. And the Oracle, well, wait, and the Oracle's control and freedom, I think, or maybe order and freedom. Yeah, like I said, I haven't quite. I, mm, I, 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 I yeah. drew out the square and I was trying to figure out where they are. And I think Neo might be like in the middle because um, he's kind of like the pawn that's being pulled in all these directions. But I think there's something to this. Uh, yeah, I haven't I mean, quite figured Neo out is the that. balance of it all, right? Like he's the he's bringing balance to the force here. Um, yeah, he's the remainder to the equation that gets carried over to the next the next yeah, computation. The, the thing that strikes me though about the the stuff that the Merovingian says, like what do all people with power want? Or that, that's actually no, that's what the Oracle says, right? What do people with power want? More power. Uh, that can be taken out of uh, context and sort of mapped onto the machines, I think, very literally. Like, what do the machines want? They want more power, like literal electricity generated from human bodies. Because they, oh. will- they, they are willing and capable of surviving without humanity. The problem here is that their survival would be limited, you know? And they don't want to take a step back. They want to move forward. They want more power, more control, um and and so that drives them to actually you know blow up the the system that that gave them that power in the first place right it's it's a sort of a doomed uh venture but they're unwilling to see that they're blinded to it by the the potential of having more power i've often wondered if the merovingian had a plan to like, does he have a grand plan of, like, unifying all the rebelled programs under his banner and then, Maybe. like, ruling the Matrix? Uh, p- Probably, yeah. I mean, if he wants more power, that's the way to attain it as a as a program, right? Does he, I wonder, like, um, uh, like what would but, happen but he, if, the like... The thing about him is he's just a pawn of the architect, right? He, I think He so. is as powerless as the woman he gives the cake to, right? He's being manipulated by the architect and the oracle. When the Oracle, let me ask you this, when the when the Matrix is, when, when Zion is destroyed and the Matrix is rebooted, do these computers, you know, these dudes, they, they have to survive uh, multiple epochs because the Oracle said that some of these people with the Merovingian are from older versions of the Matrix where, you mm-hmm. know, they had like more like openly nightmarish things going on. But I, I don't know. That was one of the things I thought was so tantalizing about this film is like they, they, um, 
they raise this idea that there's vampires and werewolves and things that go bump in the night, and these are humans' reaction to seeing programs doing what they're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And you think it's like, oh man, it's going to pay off. It's going to, you know, you're going to get some underworld in my matrix. But like, the only payoff is the albino wraith wraith twins. And oh, I was well, also a little the disappointed that we don't. With but that's just right. more. That's just more getting hot and bo- bothered for a werewolf yeah, and vampire. I'm glad stuff. that goes nowhere. I would have rather not have had that scene at all. Actually, like her Damn. saying, "Werewolves and ghosts and vampires are, you know, these these rogue programs that that should have returned to the source." I think that's enough, and it was too far with the silver bullet and all that stuff. Huh? No, I wanted to see. I wanted to see some uh, people going full wolf mode. And I don't know. I want to see you end up with Jupiter fighting. ascending. I'm not interested in that. Oh my! Well, okay, that's a pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good retort because yeah, nobody wants to see Wolf Boys no, that they look like Channing no. Tatum and. Uh yeah okay you 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 might have me there um, <laughs> but I, this scene I think this is another standout scene. It's like um, these I, I, some people think this dialogue is cringy and 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 sucks the no. speeches with the. With the Oracle and the Merovingian architect, but I think these are show pieces just as powerful as the action set pieces. And this guy's particularly uh-huh. good. Yeah, I like, agree. When he just swearing in French, like wiping your ass with silk, and just how smarmy and just dismissive he is with these powerful heroes. And um, I think you know, like uh, just just the way he just like digs into this stuff. Uh, the shit he pulls with the woman in the pink dress. Gave a whole generation of cinema goers some kind of telepathically forced orgasm kink, <laughs> um, and and yeah, the way that like Neo and and Morpheus and Trinity are powerless before the Merovingian, but they are they are given power through his wife, who's pissed off. And as I said, why is why is Persephone pissed off? By the way, the Merovingian is is acting because I don't think she gives a shit about him getting a blowjob in the bathroom. Oh well, I mean the the from a human. Yeah, the the neo kissing scene is kind of the tell there, right? Like she's trying to feel a little bit of what he's feeling because he because through this he's feeling some immense amount of pleasure, right? He gives this woman immense amount of pleasure. It gives him pleasure to see that he can control this woman in this way, and I think it's something that she has not experienced. She has not experienced any of that, uh, anything like anything she could map onto a real emotional reaction in so long from this guy uh, that she wants to experience the love that Neo and Trinity have and that's what motivates her. I don't think it's necessarily like that act of, of it's not a spite thing it's more like for my own personal needs I I need to feel something here. I largely agree. The idea that the, I think that you're supposed to understand that these people are were freedom fighters, like they're the Che Guevara of the of the Matrix. Okay, and yeah. they're now so entrenched in power and so secure that the Merovingian doesn't really care about things anymore, except for his games mm-hmm. of power. And she misses the actual passion. And you know, like even the 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 conquest of this woman in pink dress wasn't anything that like he had to fight for. Or that he had to like seduce or use. He just you know ran a program on. It's 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 cookie cutter. It's just a game. It's just something he's doing to fuck around with people. And she wants something real. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah. And I just like yeah. I love how just how pissed off the Merovingian gets about and because because <laughs> ultimately 
uh, the one person who gets what they want in this movie is Persephone because now the Merovingian is extremely passionate and extremely given and extremely cares about what the hell she's doing and why. And I just, mm-hmm. I fucking love it. I love the bookend of him just coming in and like, he's swearing and like, Oh my God, how did you do this? And you betrayed me. And she throws the blowjob back in his face. And then he's like, Oh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see to you guys. And we'll, and he gets all pissed off about Neo handling them. And then I love the smash cut literally from Neo caving in the last dude's chest with the mace to him saying, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be the death of me, woman. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think it's it's just it's just a great conclusion to the scene. Um, yeah. And they they never really know what to do with him in any of the other movies. Boy, I didn't even but, remember him coming back in the next one. But maybe that's the point, the fact that, like, once he's exposed to this kind of dandy playing games that he has literally mm-hmm. depowered in the world and he kind of diminishes. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's ultimately inconsequential. He was only consequential here because he had the key maker, which, you know, they needed to get to the source. Um, Can, can I ask you about that? Like, speaking of the source, th- there are... I don't know if I'm supposed to understand this or just go with it, but they call several parts of the computer system several different things. So they call yes what I think the, the Neo and Morpheus and everybody is referring to as the mainframe. I think that's the source. That's what the machines call it. I, and, I feel like they, they play fast and loose with the concept of source, mainframe, programs, deletion. Because and, and, and core network, they they yeah. at one point like they say we're in the core network. You know, it's uh-huh. going to be crazy here uh, when they're driving through the city. And I'm like, is that different than the mainframe? Is that yeah? Because like the source is deletion. It seems like sure. you know none of the machines yeah. wants to return to it. For, like Neo's going to return to it. And he's going to be subsumed. Like, but like that's not what source actually is. Right. Um, so like I don't know. It feels very Tron. That, mm-hmm. like, they are mapping political and religious and philosophical ideas onto computer syntax and structure that don't. And this was also back in the early 2000s. So, like, nobody, mm-hmm. you know, like, like we, we, we knew more than we did in Tron in the 80s. But, like, you know, we're so much more sophisticated with how we understand information technology, by and large, I think, today than we were now. Or maybe just we're literally... A former computer programmer is looking back at yeah. this and like, yeah, this never made sense. I don't know. I think they did it better than most. I, I definitely remember a lot of other movies that did it way worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't map perfectly to the thing they're trying to say, but it's close. All right. So if we skip a couple of uh, excellent action scenes, I want to talk about them towards the end. Um, we'll talk about he eventually arrives at the source and he meets the architect. Um mm-hmm who is the embodiment of order and control. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, we find out, the, and again, I remember seeing this for the first time and my mind was on fire. We find out yeah. that this is the sixth time, this is the sixth iteration of the the Neo, the, the, the Matrix program, and every time the machines uh, destroy Zion and then rebuild it and repopulate it with the one and a band of humans. And he fulfills the prop, you know, like it's a self-sustaining prof- prophecy. It's another, it's another layer of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and behind Neo are a whole bunch of scenes, uh, uh, screens of him like reacting and doing different things. What are those screens in your opinion showing? Um, they're showing the, the, well, 
when they're showing Neo, they're showing kind of his potential reactions to things like the, the ways in which he wants to react or perhaps the ways in which the previous ones have reacted. But I, there are so many of them. If there were five screens, that would make a lot more sense. I think it's more of like, I, yeah, like the Oracle's intuitive program, giving the range of possibilities that he can react from. And yeah. I think the, so one thing I, um, you know, uh, one thing I gained in this watch that I hadn't gained before is that as these scenes go on, the Neos are more and more in, because like the first few responses he has with the architect, there's just a cacophony of like mm-hmm. different responses and flipping off and going crazy. By the time you get down to the, um, by, by the time you get to the, where the, the architect lays it all out on the line, they all are unified and saying bullshit. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost like um, this like waveform collapsing into a singularity. Like here's yeah, all the like different potential reactions space. and the architect guides him through until they are finally united and, and, and aligned. But there's still one curveball, which is that um, the other ones experience a love of mankind in a general versus a non-specific uh, versus a specific way. And, and Neo sees it as his love towards Trinity. Mm hmm. And that's where I come back to. It's like, what caused that change? And I go like, I, to my the only thing that makes sense to me is the Oracle, which is where I go back to like the Oracle is not part of the machine system of control. Or she, I mean, obviously she used to be, but she's no longer. Yeah, I mean that's entirely possible. Um, the the other possibility here, which you could read it as, is it was always doomed to fail. This system they had created had a fundamental flaw which was still the same flaw. They had to give the one program a choice to save humanity or not save humanity. And this variable just happened to come up on the sixth iteration. And it would have come up eventually. The 5,000th iteration, the 488th millionth. uh, It was just this one. I really like the... um the contrast between the Oracle and the architect, the Oracle talks in, I mean, she's, she's explaining some big concepts too, but she's very folksy and down to earth and the way she speaks. And she explains Mm -hmm. it like you're five type of thing, because I think she's confident in her ideas and who she is and her intellectual uh, capacities and limitations. Whereas the architect speaks like, this internet edgelord where he's using $50 words where five one will do. And it's because he is uncertain and he is afraid and he There's is a frustration unsure of himself. There. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like such an elegant way to tell. I, I, like I said, I just keep on finding more and more elegant ways that they're telling the story. And I think the it's contrast that's... between them. He, are, is he's one of them. the, the Harvard kid in the bar, uh, in goodwill hunting. Right. And, and the Oracle goodwill. is will hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no, i'd say that's a good way yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh she got the one phone number how's you like them apples <laughs> i like everything about him he's uh you know he's white she's black he's sharp dressed she's kind of slovenly uh he is obtuse and uh baroque in his speech she is uh you know straightforward well that's the other thing is like He's saying a very straightforward thing, mm-hmm. but in a very convoluted manner. She's saying a very complicated thing in a very straightforward manner. It's just, again, yeah, yeah. there's so many contrasts there. I love it. 
Yeah, and it contrasts, but also symmetries. You know, it's yeah. There's there's a balance to it all. It's a great restrained performance too. I love like the little because like he doesn't really. There's a few things where he can show like satisfaction, and then like his face falls. Mm-hmm. And like when he says, you know, there are levels of existence and we're prepared to accept. And I especially like when his eyes slightly widened when he yep. says this is the sixth time we destroyed Zion. We become exceedingly efficient at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I looked this guy up. I haven't seen him in hardly anything. Uh, I didn't recognize anything, but he I don't know where they find these people, but he's he's kind of the perfect architect. Yeah. And, and his speech here sort of. um belies the futility of trying to create a system like the matrix in, in, you know, this world that they've proposed here where humanity has a choice and choice is a confounding uh, variable in that equation They're Cause, cause they're trying, they're trying to, you know, pin in that sort of runaway process in humanity, which is choice where they can't, uh, can't quite get it. And they think they got a system to account for it. And they're trying to exert a little bit of control over this anomaly, right? And they understand the base things. Like, the the one thing that stands out to me is when the architect says something about, you know, the most simplistic of equations. And he's talking about, you know, part of humanity here. And all the screens just go bullshit or whatever and start cursing him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and unity. He's, he's talking about it anger and aggression right that's like a simplistic base response of humanity that they can account for and they can control what they can't control is the love the thing that's more complex right something that isn't right. as simple as i'm going to hit you with something and make you stop doing the thing you're doing yeah and that's one of the reasons um i don't know if we want to talk more about the architect if there's anything more because like i feel like we've we've kind of talked around the scene we did um, earlier yeah that's one of the reasons, even though I, I originally thought it was cringe when I was a younger man, the Zion scene where they're all dancing in the cave and, and Neo and, and Trinity are fucking. I actually think it's mm-hmm. a vital scene because it's doing exactly what Morpheus says it does. It's it's sending a message to the machines like this is why we'll never stop. This is why we will never give up. This is why we won't be cowed. It's like demonstrating all the things unique and messy about humans and their passions and their loves that the machines cannot mm-hmm. even comprehend or understand. And uh, it's this, that, that is at the beginning of the movie to reinforce the scene at the end of the movie uh, to, to reinforce just yeah. what you said. I, I agree with you. I, I actually, I still think that the style of that scene is pretty cheesy. Um, How but, so? but it's place in the film makes a lot of sense. I, I don't so? know. There's something over it, the top the and gratuitous like, about it where they're like showing it. They're showing too much of it, maybe. Um, hmm. I don't know. I have a lot of residual feelings about that. That you have a lot of residual, residual self cringe because that's it. Because I, 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 totally. I every time I watch it as a as the at the age I am now, I just think it's like, why did I think this was cringy? Because first of all, when I watched it uh, uh, originally. It was with my religious friends, and I was uncomfortable with the nudity and the sexuality. Okay, and that's like a ninety-nine <laughs> yeah, yeah, percent yeah. of the reasons why I was like, "This is a weird scene. Why does it have to be in here? It just distract." But now it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's a it's an action film. Like, when did it become a crime to throw something sexy and sexual into an action film? Oh, it's not. And I prefer it that way. 
<laughs> and there's this ridiculous there's like, we've got to talk about this at some point just ridiculously good people in this film holy shit uh good, and it's fun to watch people. them yeah good looking and interesting interesting and good looking people in this film and they're all bumping and grinding on each other and neo and trinity are fucking and that's the other thing is like we don't get to appreciate their relationship as man and woman and we need a scene because like their love is like almost an idealized chaste like princess bride love in the first movie and they needed to bring that yeah. into something that felt more real because the whole fucking movie is going to hinge on the fact that Neo loves Trinity in particular. He will literally mm-hmm. sacrifice all of humanity for a chance, a chance to save her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think the the scene does fit well within the movie because he, here's the thing that I fundamentally disagree with the philosophy of this movie. I don't think there is anything that separates humanity from an artificial intelligence uh it's simply that we haven't seen anything that compares to us as far as intelligence goes yet that's a wild statement you say that um i because like i don't know i i view consciousness as an emergent property not as like something that has some special endowment from oh from something i agree else only with for that. humanity and so why couldn't something develop that would have the exact qualities that we have I, but I, 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 I agree with that, but I also think that's different than saying, like, if we were to meet a hypothetical alien from Alpha Centauri, that they would be just like us and they would fully oh, totally, understand yeah. us and they'd have the same emotions and they have the same outlook. And I think that's where it's like, you know, it's it's we're, well, I'm not saying the machines are fundamentally different. They, and and they, but they are fundamentally different because they didn't go through the same evolutionary processes. They don't have the same limbic systems. Like it's right. enti- it I, makes sense to me that they wouldn't understand emotion. Well, I, mm, I, I disagree. I think like because we're creating them, they're going to be created very much in our own image, where we're, whether we want them to or not. We're, we're only able to input things that are products of ourselves. And so it's different when you meet an Alpha Centauri being uh, and they have not had any input from humanity. They could be mm. entirely different. But because we are creating the artificial intelligence, I think they would be a lot like us. Um, it, and I don't I, I don't actually foresee any way for an intelligence to develop outside of that um, that we would have, you know, like an influence on. Later in the future, when we go to other places, I, I think that's possible. But like huh. right now, I think any artificial intelligence we create would be a lot like us. And so I, I I don't agree that like the machines wouldn't be able to understand choice like this fucking choice problem. If we if we have the fundamental capability to make a choice, I think artificial intelligence that we create would also have that fundamental capability. But maybe they might be bounded by like the architect said by perfection. Like it might be it might be anathema to machine to make a less good choice. Whereas humans do that all the time. Like a human or like like because machines might have potentialities and like, uh, you know, probabilities and things. But at the end of the day, it's like if a course of action is 36 percent chance of going to a good outcome by the machine standards and another course of action has a 35 percent chance of but don't uh, we all do that every day like i you think that people make the best choice with all the information that they have in absolute terms on a daily basis they make not an absolute no don't throw absolute terms in there no absolutely not uh but in their own minds given the variables and the way that their systems work yeah i think they do 
Like, but they, even when you point at something like smoking, which abjectly is horrible uh, and absolutely will kill you, people still chill, choose to do it, though it provides no real tangible benefit. They make that choice given the inputs of their own systems, right? Damn, I wish I was a little bit further into the Children of Ruin. It's the follow-up to Children of Time, because uh-huh. this is about intelligent squids, intelligent okay. octopus. And it seems like one of the things that they're struggling with is like, you know, because as humans, we are um we've grown up with like uh you know that we're skeptical of our emotional nature and we worship the reason, right? Like that's like we idealized mm-hmm. reasoned and logic and we deprecate emotion and feeling, even though I don't know that's necessarily true. It feels like the, the squid society, because the way their brains are uh, divided and that like they actually have brains independently control their arms and a central kind of intelligence that kind of like um, import, impo- imposes its will on the others that like the it's the opposite that the squids are concerned with um, uh, only looking at reason and logic and ignoring the instinctive and the emotional um, and they're setting up hmm. society like so like I but I wish I was further enough away to see like where Tchaikovsky is going with that because I feel like what 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 you're what that that like our disagreement is that like I'm saying that like hum, that that um I think that there's many times humans look and say the best choice for me to be would be this, but I just can't do it because of this emotional reason. I just can't do it. I don't think mm-hmm. a machine would ever say that. A machine would say this is the best course of action I've calculated and I'm going to do it regardless of the difficulty of doing it, regardless of how long it's going to take, regardless of like, and then like it might not even, it might not even, it might even be weirded out by saying, well, how do you feel about that choice? Like, what do you mean? How do I feel about that choice? It's the best choice. It's the best outcome. Really? I, hmm. It's a probability Everything I see of the best outcome. Put, so there are, there are, there's a human machine interface right now that requires machines to be more human-like in order for them to be useful to us. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what the Matrix proposes too, that like the machines were built as, you know, the servants of humanity and therefore they needed to be, they needed to at least understand humanity if not emulate humanity. And I think the closer you get to a machine that can do that function well, the closer you get to it just being human. Just, well, just being I, I think very that's literally what the Oracle is. And as soon as she gets onto the scene, she betrays the machines and sides with humanity. Okay. That's my, thesis. Being... That's, that's my thesis. Gotcha. And so that is, that is the... And he even said that she's a more intuitive program, something that relies more on intuition and emotion than it does logic and perfection. Right. Well, she was designed to understand humanity, right? Before that, it seemed Mm -hmm. like they somehow had a whole society of machines that was never designed to understand humanity in any real fundamental way, which... Well, yeah, 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 yeah. ...is kind of crazy given you know the way artificial intelligence is developing now that that's that's where i come down to like the disagreement i have with the movie is they want to say the machines and humans are fundamentally different in that one can make a choice and one cannot and i i do not in any way agree with that i think machines okay. are going to be just as capable as humans as capable or incapable whatever you want to think of humanity as as humans are all right 
I disagree with your disagreement, but we've I, I don't want to go around another five minute circle. Um, can we talk about the outcome of this, which is he chooses to be to to try to change uh, to try to save uh, Trinity. And I love how that goes. Like, I always find it, uh, you know, we talked about this in Star Trek. Like, uh, I think it's very moving when Data tries to save his daughter's, you know, positronic cascade and his hands are moving too fast. I always think it's very, I always think it's very uh, inspiring when people put in this superhuman effort to save people, right? So, -hmm. like, Neo, like, the cutting back and forth between Trinity falling to her death and Neo trying desperately to get there. And he's, like, causing a vortex that's pulling, like, city buses and taxis and... Yeah. Uh, light posts everything behind him and then he's like bending time and space like light is like stretching out he's going so fucking fast to save her and he literally that it's it's another one of those um, yin yang sins scenes where like in the first movie we have Trinity outside the matrix appealing to Neo's uh, body to get up and continue fight kissing him giving a lot here we have Neo from inside the matrix doing the same thing mm-hmm. you know um, and I like this scene much better um, I think this is a much more plausible scene where he, so I, I love the fact that he's basically like racing the cascade failure of the matrix, right? You can see him. You can imagine him flying through the circuits of a computer system going faster than the code can break down to get to Trinity and get her out of that. Um, it, but I, I think this is a more plausible scene because I can buy someone being hooked into a machine that can intricate, uh, intricately control their brain patterns, uh, being able to jumpstart somebody's heart as opposed to kissing someone in the real world being something that restarts their brain. Like th- there's Especially, a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's a, a reverse, an equal and exactly opposite reaction here that... I really don't like this in the first movie, and I really I like it here. I never, I never had a problem with the first movie. I understand you're, and I, I, like I said I can I kind of philosophically agree with your objections to the first one. But you're right. Like in the first one, they lay out that your brain makes your your brain makes the what's happening to your body real in the Matrix. So it's all it's in yeah. your head, but that doesn't mean it's not really happening. Well, Neo is capable of doing things inside her head. He's capable because mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's like. The other thing you have to understand is when Neo's punching an agent, he's not really punching an agent. This is just the abstraction mm-hmm. from the code. He's actually hacking. Mm-hmm. That's like, do we understand that? But like at the fundamental, like Neo is not doing Kung Fu. He's he's hacking the code of the Matrix to get advantages and to give the agent disadvantage until, until he can defeat their system and win. Mm-hmm. That's like, I think yeah, a lot he's... of people don't like actually understand that. You know? And so in this scene, when he reaches inside of her, and it's the reason it goes to code here to really like right. tell you that yeah. he's not physically reaching in and grabbing her heart and squeezing it to bring her back to life. No. He's doing this all through her mind, through the Matrix yeah. connection. And and our abstraction of that through through the code is him squeezing her heart and is eternally massaged, right. which I think is also a very cool thing. Yeah, it's CPR without um, the rib breaking. Although it seems pretty traumatic. It, it seems like maybe a couple broken ribs would hurt less Oh, I than bet this, it but... is. I bet it's really traumatic <laughs> to experience that inside one's brain body. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. Um, so Neo comes out of this. So he went to the source, but he came out. Instead of he, 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 for the first time, he came out. And like, I also disagree. Like, I don't think Neo is out racing the cascading failure of the Matrix because the Matrix will still can persist through the next movie. 
Smith is the cascading failure, so it'll take another movie for the Matrix mm. to be destroyed. Okay. But like he's he's just racing to, to, to save uh, uh, Trinity. I don't I don't know that it's important to like you know mm. go into that distinction. But his returning to the source gives him a connection well, to the well, machine. He says, so, so, so what is the twenty four hour deadline then? Because he says in twenty four hours all of humanity will be destroyed because the the machines are that close to the Zion. So what stops him Zion from now going back to the source? If he wanted, now that he's saved Trinity, I think he could. I think it's possible for him so? to okay. go back. And yeah. I do think it is. Well, except for there's something I'd have to. The God damn, I have to rewatch up. the show again. <laughs> the source blew up, so maybe it's not because also the key master said that there's this one opportunity. There's this one time this thing will be open at this state, and the one has to be there at that time. So mm, it could be yeah. that, like, yeah, from now the nothing the Matrix can do within itself can save itself. Yeah. That's Which again, the Matrix is not at. the machine world. The Matrix is a subset of the machine world that babysits the humans. But like now there's nothing they can do to save the Matrix and they're unwilling to stop their assault. But that's the thing, they're unwilling because they do stop their assault. That's mm. how the the Matrix three ends up, that the machines decide mm. just not to destroy humanity because they've made a peace agreement. Gotcha. Um but yeah, he can feel them. And then, like you know, when you're watching this movie for the first time, it's like, oh my god, what the fuck does that mean? He can feel them outside the Matrix. Not only can he feel them, he can he can uh, disable them. He's got the Matrix powers on the outside. But it's clearly something that happened to him when he went back to the source. He stole like there's the constant theme of infecting. Like Agent yeah. Smith is being infected by his time with humanity. I think you could argue that the Oracle was infected by studying humans, and now. Mm-hmm. Neo has been infected by the machines that he can communicate them in the real world just as if he is one of the machines. So so this is my resurrecting someone with a kiss uh, bugaboo about this movie. I don't see how this is in any way possible. It's not like his brain suddenly got upgraded with a transmitter, right? Like he, he's not Wi-Fi connected to the Matrix here. How does he control the machines? This is a damn good question. Um, I mean, I could always just appeal to the, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica slash Star Trek Picard thing of like, well, there's a biological structure that they have tapped into. And um, but you're right, because sure, like, but this is I also want to say to that the like, real world, not some fictional universe. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, a real world of some undetermined amount of centuries in the future with uh, machines that are able to, like, stick probes into our brain and make us smell and feel things. But, yeah, it's still pretty sci-fi. Okay. They want to yeah. posit that there is some kind of structure in the brain that... Do the uh, movies go there? Do they ever say that? Well, plus the other thing is, like, they these are not unmodified humans. They have sure. giant ports. They have wires throughout the surface. Like is it that hard to believe that there is some way that a human could use the the electronics inside them as an antenna, and that the machine, like especially because I think we're supposed to ever try and explain this. I I don't remember. I haven't seen because like movie if they say aha we upgraded him we activated the parts of his brain that are Wi-Fi capable but wait and they don't ever explain that shit in Battlestar Galactica Star Trek Picard it's just like this is a machine body that's completely indistinguishable from a flesh and blood body and it can it's capable of subspace communication that's sure. impossible 
I don't I don't know <laughs> that I love that because Neo's body is not indistinguishable from a human body. You throw it running through his cat scan. You will see he will light up like a Christmas tree. All the all the tech mm-hmm. that he's got inside. They, him. they do explain that in Picard. They 100 percent explain that in Picard. They say How? that the, the, he was modified. The Picard was modified as a Borg and that, that was genetic and that it was passed. I'm talking about his, his golem body that like he can go back to 21st century hospital and they run his uh, his his positronic body through a scan and it's completely indistinguishable from a flesh and blood human, even though he's sure. got a positronic brain. Mm-hmm. And I think they explained that he's I'm, just as he could live forever, but he's programmed to die and he could be as strong as we're, data, we're getting lost programmed. in the weeds here. They yeah, yeah, never yeah, bring okay. this up. They never say he has Wi-Fi enabled by the machines and that was how he's able to do it as far as I remember. But again, I don't remember much of the next movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, just don't know why I, I have a huge you. problem with this because I don't think they ever adequately explain it. Hmm. Like I said, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I can see because I, I have a huge problem with that with some other friend, but I don't in this. So, like, maybe I'm being a little bit hypocritical here. Uh, but yeah, and also, the, I don't know, maybe they do explain it in the third movie. Um, because like I said, I think the third movie is definitely the weakest installment, but it does give a satisfying conclusion to what they've set up here. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean it's my favorite movie. I think this is my favorite movie. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. Um, I don't have much to say more about the philo- philosoph- philosoph- philosophical bits of the movie, but I do want to talk about these action set pieces that we've kind okay. of essentially glazed uh, over or glided over. Um. I want to talk about, I guess the first big one is, I mean, I don't know. You got the, you got the, the agent code, the agent fight in the beginning, which I thought was great because it's, it's Neo effortlessly beating the hell out of three improved agents. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it just kind of shows you just how much more powerful it is. And he goes and flies, which is another thing that, you know, we didn't really get to see. There's a Sarah fight. I actually like the idea of this 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 program is guarding another program because she's just too important to be fucked with um but the real big fight the big first set piece fight is the burly brawl yeah Um, let let me ask you this do you know why it's called the burly brawl i don't i feel like i i know because i've seen all the behind the scenes mate but it's been so long that i don't remember why it's called a burly brawl i didn't either and I, I never knew. And I went and I had to do a fair amount of digging to even figure this out. Um, so the Matrix sequels were made. They were produced under the code name Burly Man. Um, and I think Burly Man Productions is the Wachowskis production company that they were doing this under. Um, that is apparently a reference to Barton Fink. Because the Burly Man is the script that he's trying to write throughout that film of the wrestling, the the wrestling uh, novel he's trying to write or wrestling uh-huh. movie he's trying to write. Sure. Uh, and they felt like during the production of those two movies that they, they were a lot like Barton Fink, just constantly frustrated, unable to write anything. It was a real slog to get through these things and make them work. And so I guess like that's why they took that name and then the burly fight just be- the burly brawl became like because it was codenamed burly man this was like the big set piece that they were really trying to create 
I read that it took, took that like 28 from. days and $40 million. Like yeah. this soaked up a surprising amount of the budget, more than the freeway chase, which blew my mind. Yeah, that's crazy because that scene is a lot longer, uh, the highway chase, yeah. but like, yeah. Uh, so, so that's I, why it's Burly Brawl, which I <laughs> it surprised me. I, I, I counted there's, there's five phases of this fight, and I think, the first three and a half work well, and then it gets a little crazy. The phase uh-huh. one is fairly grounded wire foo. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually neat. It's actually Keanu Reeves. It's actually uh, Lord Elrond, Hugo Weaving, uh, and a bunch of stuntmen and Hugo Weaving masks <laughs> that are just like fighting Neo. And I think it's very fucking cool. Like mm-hmm. all that shit is super cool. Phase two is like much less grounded wire foo. Where mm-hmm. he's like, Neo, but it's still wire foo. Like he jumps like three stories into the air and then lands and does all this stuff with some CGI assist. There's mm-hmm. sometimes where in the transition, it's it's Keanu Reeves and he jumps and it's Keanu Reeves when he hits the ground. But when he twists and does stuff in the air, they do a little bit of CGI smoothing and blending to to make it look good. Um, phase three, which is the climax of the fight in my mind, is where he rips the pull out of that ground and uses it as like a, a mm-hmm. war hammer, and then he turns into like a staff. I think that's the peak of the fight, uh, and then it gets it it begins the CGI madness, like yeah. from that point forward. Um, there's and I don't the thing is is I don't understand why they did so much CGI. Because there's a couple of like the coolest parts of Neo twirling that pipe around and when it's actually Keanu Reeves doing it and when they like jump him in the air and he's just spinning around in a circle it's like well why don't they just have Keanu Reeves do that um, well yeah this is the this is why I describe this movie as kind of like a almost a desperate attempt to do more than the Matrix and this scene sort of epitomizes that it, they they had to do more than bullet time, right? They had to do more than the choreography you saw in the first film, which was amazing, which was like the first third of this fight. You saw most of that stuff in The Matrix, and this had the twist of being all the same character, which mm-hmm. was cool in its own right. But then how do you take it to the next step? Well, you, there's some of this stuff you just can't have Keanu do, right? Like, I, I mean, you... <sighs> It was going to take, apparently, the effects uh, supervisor was talking about, it would take years, years to do all of this work, this compositing stuff and the shooting of this Mm. action scene if they were to do it with the bullet time tech. And so they had to come up with a better way to do it, and they had this virtual camera. They they were were trying to get away from the idea of like, well, okay, how do we shoot shoot this and composite it traditionally? Maybe we can do a virtual camera where we don't, actually like have a camera tied to the shot we're doing and then it became just why don't we do this all in cg um because that that is the next logical step it's just that the tech wasn't quite there they were pioneering it like they did with bullet time but they were using traditional Uh uh equipment and traditional techniques to get the bullet time effect they just took those to the logical conclusion here they're using all new tech Here's what I, my conclusion from watching this a million times is, I think they should have just gone away from bullet time a lot. They should have just done a lot less bullet time because it was commoditized. And like when it's CGI Neo moving at full speed, it's not that uncanny valley. It's only when they do the bullet time stuff where they really, you know, you can, they they really 
slow down his rotation. So you, that's when you can see it's really fake. That's not Keanu Reeves. That's some kind of CGI abomination. Um, so it's like, I, I guess I would have said just just ditch bullet time. You did bullet time. That was the big thing last episode. This episode is all about... And they there's still a couple like... Then the freeway chase that we'll talk about next um, or in the future. Uh, there's a bullet time sequence where Keanu Reeves is saving Morpheus and the Keymaster from the explosion to trucks. And I think that actually holds up because even though everything's happening in slow motion, Neo is in full motion. And mm-hmm. when he grabs the guys and takes off, he never slows down that you can kind of tell that it's CG and it works a lot better. So it's like mm-hmm. find places where you're doing bullet time where Neo is still moving at a full speed because he's superhuman but like it hides the fact that it's that's not a real person yeah and this is why like the need to do more than the matrix really fucked with him here right yeah because that wouldn't well, have been like said, more do than more, the matrix that would have just been... get rid just just get rid of the bullet time you're still doing way more like that freeway chase without bullet time is still a fucking amazing sequence just mm-hmm. don't do bullet time yeah i guess uh but but this is a scene that they sort of conceived of early and were investing a lot yeah. in and i don't think they wanted to cut it and 20 years ago it looked it looked fucking amazing that's the other thing is like we're mm-hmm. judging it um post marvel post like uh, all, all those advances in cg that we've seen and it's just like i don't it's it's not fair but no. um i did like i don't know there's like other things like they they make a bowling sound uh yeah that's silly that that's fucking drive that, that's so dumb but i did like there's i do really like when neo beats the hell out of agent smith of that metal pipe that 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 satisfying metallic thunk it makes every time he hits an agent smith's skull and every mm. time when, when he gets a really good connection he sends him like spiraling into the sky like i, I just think that's re- <laughs> i do like that but the bowling sounds i don't know yeah, that sounds uh, real dumb. But the choreography in this scene is amazing. Whether like oh, yeah. whether the CG looks good or not is another thing entirely. The choreography, the movement of everything is incredible. And because they have that virtual camera, they can do these whip pan bullet yeah. time things around Neo as he's like fighting on all sides. It adds mm-hmm. a kinetic energy to it that you can't get in real life. Um, and I think it defines the fight. It's yeah. it's it is what makes that fight stand out to me. And there's a couple of things in the CG that I think work really well. Like uh, when he lands in the middle with that pole and it's on his shoulders and he's kind of like going around in a tight circle, just kicking them all in the face, bicycle kick, endless bicycle kicks. I think that works really well. And there's a lot of like Drunken Master 2 references, that fight where Jackie Chan strips down to his waist and he has that big bundle of bamboo sticks. He's beat, you know, he's like doing these big 360 <laughs> oh. motions, whipping the shit out of this crowd. Yeah. Like they they do that. I think that looks great. And then when all of the Smiths pile on mm-hmm. and they're doing the like inevitable thing and he just blows out of it, like, you know, he the Dragon Ball Z's his way out of there. I think that 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 works out really well, too. But the middle section mm-hmm. where they're transitioning from grounded wire food to CGI madness, it it's a little rough 20 years down mm-hmm. the line. I also don't like the edit here. I think it should just show Neo busting out of these Agent Smiths. It should not go back and spend 30 seconds of 17 Hugo Weavings looking at the ground and, and like, hands in their pockets. You know what I mean? Like, that the, the post early brawl? I kind of like that. I, I think it's... Why? What are you getting out of it? It indicates a sort of, like, well, we'll get him next time sort of attitude. Mm. Like, we've got so many irons in this fire that this one being pulled out doesn't really phase us. Huh. 
I, I wish I got that because that like, yeah, this. Oh, I don't have to worry about him getting away because I'm inevitable. Yeah. I'll just get next yeah. time. I'll have twice as many and it'll be his ass. And I right. also got a person on the out. But I, I just didn't get that. Like, I look at all these Agent Smiths and they all look like <laughs> vaguely surprised and disappointed and like, oh, mm. shucks. You know, it's it, it, they felt defeated in, in, in a way. I don't know. Yeah, they are like semi defeated there, but not really. Not ultimately. Um, let's talk about the Merovingian lobby fight. I can't tell if this is my favorite fight or it's the freeway fight. They kind of like mm. are all one big action sequence, really, the blend into the other. But like yeah. in terms of like non CG, because there's almost no CG. This is all just practical mm-hmm. and I fucking love it. I love the sound design. <laughs> I love when Neo picks up those size and it makes like this like sizzling electronic kind of noise when he's spinning them around and shit. I love um, him blocking that blade with his hand. Yeah, and and the the, the only human, you know, that that motif comes back. You get three drops of blood out of him, and it's like, Mm -hmm. ah, see, he's only human. Uh, and you know, like also just everything's (laughs) he's done this superhuman thing. Yeah, I I love the contrast there. Right? It's see, he's still only human. He bleeds, but he just caught a fucking battle sword by its edge on the on the edge of his hand. He used his sword as a his hand as a sword, and you're saying he's only human. But some of these guys are like wraiths, and that's why I wish we had the werewolf vampire shit going. But uh, and my God, there's yeah, this yeah. really gorgeous wide shot and bullet. It's not even bullet, just in slow motion of like the entire lobby where Keanu jumped from one balcony and he bounces and hits the other. And there's another guy following him and there's another guy flying through the air. And then there's another guy like mm. doing a wall run and like doing his pincher attack. It's just so fucking cool. And yeah. I don't know the choreography in the matrix movies has ever been matched it's it's off the charts good it yeah i mean i've definitely seen stuff since that like i you know like uh, the hallway fight in daredevil uh but the scale the average of this, stuff in john just, wick yeah yeah it was 20 years ago 20 years like, ago and the way they blend like the real and the the artificial is crazy yeah good. And you don't get John Wick if you didn't have these movies like right. the the Matrix is what like uh, and I have mixed feelings because the Matrix kind of single handedly killed the 80s 90s action hero. Like it, it that stuff was no longer just a yeah. big beefy dude mm-hmm. dropping hammers on guys was no longer like you have to you, you, you know you want some live mobile action star that can do you, know, you want Keanu Reeves whipping mm-hmm. whipping mm-hmm. sci-fi ass now. Like all the Marvel fight, all the big Marvel set pieces are essentially PG thirteen versions of things we've already seen in the Matrix trilogy. Oh, they wish they were the Matrix. They wish they had anything that good. <laughs> Captain America three airport airport brawl, pretty good though. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that one. That's the one where Spider Man uh, is like yeah, first and, working with the Avengers, right? And Ant Man get turns into the Colossus, and yep. yeah, okay, it's uh, I like that it's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. And they're, you know, the 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 blocks all those bullets. Like everything's like bigger and better than it was in the Matrix. And I think this fight is an epitome of that. And then you get to mm-hmm. the freeway scene. Yeah. Whoever had the idea to give Morpheus a katana, take a bow because that's fucking cool. <laughs> um there's so much imagination, like the backseat fight where the Wraith teleports into the backseat mm-hmm. and tr- and he's right there, the key master, and he tries to kill him and suddenly Morpheus and Trinity are trying to share the responsibility of fighting these this guy and saving the key master is helpless and mm-hmm. driving the car. Oh, 
It's so fucking, and they're using seatbelts and headbutts and razor blades, and it's breathtaking and tense and just effortlessly cool. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and and the the practical stunt level is just off the charts too. Like when they're driving opposite way down the freeway on the motorcycle. Um, Trini's got the key maker on the back and they're weaving in and out of traffic there a lot of that mm. stuff is practical and you can tell they're using and, like a focus length to make it seem like they're yeah. way closer than they are but and, and for sure they're under cranking the, the to make it better but yeah in places feels virtual and some of those trucks that they go under are definitely virtual sure sure but it feels like they're really on that road the, the way they've blended the technical bits with the practical stuff is so good and it just keeps on getting better. Like, you know, Trinity mm-hmm. steals this Ducati. There's this point of time, like, where we got all these really cool motorcycle stunts and, like, Mission Impossible 2 and, and The Matrix 2. And mm-hmm. looks like Tom Cruise is bringing it back at the latest Mission Impossible because I saw some motorcycle stunts in that trailer that looks pretty impressive. But, like, it's just so awesome. And, it, and But also, like, if you're paying attention, you, you get an alarm because, like, she is stealing the motorcycle that she's going to die on from the scene in the first of the movie. So it ties back there and increases the tension because we see the prophecy clicking forward. Uh, I mean, Morpheus using his katana to make a step on the the, mm-hmm. grab the, the, the semis so he can grab the key maker. And as soon as he throws him, a, he springs to the top of his truck. He whips off his glasses and he hits the camera with with this just panty dropping look. He looks so fucking cool. I love the fight that he has on top of the semi. Like mm-hmm. you know, he's got that like giant crane kick that he's gonna land, and he never does. And he's he's clearly out. He's still clearly outmatched by this improved agent. But then he gets a sword. And it's like, okay, he might have a chance. And then the agent kicks him off the, the, the truck, but then Nairobi catches him on her hot rod. And fuck, I mean, the the, the Fast and Furious uh, uh, franchise, I don't think would be as good as it was without these movies. Because right. their yeah. highway scenes at their best are trying to get to this level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh, and, and again, the 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 climax of it is a big messy CGI scene that doesn't quite hold together. But like, how the hell else would you do like two trucks slamming into each other and a man flying in and saving them? I don't think you could do that. Twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three practical technology. It's 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 close enough for me. Like I, the CG yeah. doesn't stand out here like it does in the Burly Brawl. I, I think yeah, they they got the cr- you're so focused on like the crumpling of these trucks and stuff that you're not really noticing how not lifelike I guess the CG is because it's it's good enough mm-hmm. but, it might, but then the reaction that uh, Harold Perrineau has that, that Link has in the scene to when Neo flies in and catches them both it's just priceless I, I love yeah. him in that moment he's so good I think there's something cool in the connection between this and the third act where Morpheus, there's a scene where he's got the three captains, the three ships and the three crews and the three objectives. And he's talking about how the, he sees providence and purpose and destiny. And tonight we can end the war. But if that is true, then the disaster that befalls them because of Bane's treachery. Well, no, it's not even that. It's just like a doodah state, like a, a poor maintenance on a catwalk in a uh, hover ship dooms their attempt. And that's got to be fate and destiny too, right? 
Like where? Sure. That, that's my question yeah. for Morpheus is when when are you working with destiny, purpose and fate? And when are you working against it? Because mm-hmm. there's something the movie's trying to say about that. Like maybe it's like fate and destiny ultimately don't. It, 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 it matters less than individuals being willing to take action hmm. to improve. Same. It could be or, or you know, uh, there's just a funny way that fate goes about being fate. Um, and that you, the more control you try and exert over it, the less you'll actually have an effect on it. I, I don't know. The less part uh, of it you become. There's the scene in the back door corridor. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how Agent Smith gets into there. I don't either. Like if he had assumed the key, ma- the key master, that would make sense that he would have the key. But like, I don't understand how he gets there. But. If I grant the fact that he got in there somehow, uh, this is another really nifty fight. Like this is kind of mm-hmm. like the daredevil hallway fight times 10, but it it, <laughs> sure. it just doesn't, it, the stakes, the, oh, I don't know. The stakes are pretty high. It just doesn't last as long, but it I feels really like too the, claustrophobic for me. I like the hallway fight felt many, good with the, in daredevil with the number of people they had. I, this feels too, too many close smiths, quarters, too yeah. crowded. It's too choked. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that. I like this. I like the sound design when he says, oh, that's a pro- the the good thing about me is there's so many me's and the doors swing open. They all come out. And there's like this <laughs> panther growl on the track. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's, 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 it's an interesting works. fight under interesting ground. Like, I, I agree. I think it's ultimately a little too claustrophobic, but like that the, might be the, the different, point, right? The fact that there's no safe place, like you put your door mm-hmm. against the uh, back against the wall and it's a door and an agent comes through that door. And yeah, I'm and supposed the fact that, to feel pinned in here because that's the feeling that uh, Smith wants me to have. Like, it's inevitable. Why are you fighting against this? It's pointless. Yeah. And Neo is maybe powerful enough to resist, but he's also got two people there, the Keymaster and Morpheus, that aren't. Like that part mm-hmm. where they triple penetrate Morpheus mm-hmm. uh, that try to hack him. Like that feels like, oh my God, you know, like they're like Neo barely beat off one of them in the Burly Brawl. Let a, you know, like what's it's there's there's some stakes. Yeah. Yeah, how's he gonna beat off three of them? Um trying to think of just anything. That's that's like a, I think all of the set pieces, right? And the big ones, yeah, certainly. Uh, there there are small uh, ones like what him about Trinity a few th- agents at the beginning? The Trinity throwing herself out the window, I think, is another one that's a little uncanny valley. There's something about the pallid nature of Carrie Ann Moss and the hairstyle they pick for her in this movie, and it the huh. way it meshes to give that kind of like, ugh, she's giving me corpse rather than living human being. The thing but that bothers me cool. about that is that they can't hit each other with the guns. That's the thing that bothers me is they fire 400 bullets and one hits, two hit, you know? Yeah, and in the first movie, they sell that because the agents move too fast. And again, yeah, they're going just falling back to now. like... They can't move. Yeah, and I think you're supposed to understand that they're not really firing bullets at each other. This is them uh-huh. trying to hack and counter hack each other. But the language of it kind of falls apart because, yeah, what is... In this system, it's just gravity. Like, none of them are able to meaningfully make any different choice, you know? Like, so, yeah, why does it take so long for the agent, to, the, the, the hitter, and the, the O-ring? Yeah, I feel like every single one of these bullets should be on target. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of just random things I've got um, about the look and feel of the movie. Um, what, where are you on with Zion's design? Because I actually love the look and feel of Zion. 
Yeah, me too. What's well, like? Are there people who don't? <laughs> well, there's some people that like criticize it from like uh, the way the everything's all kind of brown and cottony in terms of the costumes. But like, I don't know. I don't. I don't really give a shit. I was raised on the next generation where it's like I don't know what the fuck those costume designers were thinking from week to week. <laughs> but like, I don't sure. care. But like the look of like the Zion's defenses, the mechs that are protecting it, the giant grates that are like it's it's this clearly advanced technology, but it's using massive chain driven gears. And it's like one step removed from shit that you've seen in like Mad Max Fury Fury Road. Um, and the one scene of like the shaft that Ma- the Zion's got all the different bridges and roads and the depth it has to it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I just think that's really cool. I get the impression from this that this is a civilization that's cobbled together a bunch of found hardware. You know, like yes. they they didn't design any of this stuff. They just kind of no, they're repurposing it to make it work. Found, yeah, scavenged a bunch of stuff and fixed it up as best they could. Um, I actually really like the way that they use the Matrix people as like the traffic controllers. They have these constructs for virtual environments, so it's like that's so super cool. If you have a task station, it's virtual. You know, you can have as many monitors, you can reconfigure your keyboard, like if some new thing that you have to support, you can just entice it's like it's it's so easy to change the interface. I thought that's I, I yeah, I love that they're in this blank white loading screen, but they're doing like, you know, basic Zion maintenance and stuff in it. I thought that was a really cool mm-hmm. idea too. Yeah. Um one thing that I don't think works at all in this movie and is the payoff in the third is not worth it, is the kid. The okay. kid is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why did the 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 kid? If uh w- would make if they take the kid out, they'd make the next movie like thirty minutes shorter, which would be a huge win. And I yeah, I don't know what they're trying to do with the kid. Hmm. The kid feels I, like I a really tie into a video game that flopped or something. I don't know, like Flight of the Osiris or. <laughs> sure. Did you ever play any of those games? Those Matrix no. games? Me either. Enter the Matrix. I heard the MMO yeah. was pretty cool, but. If, yeah, if you actually got they, into it, they intended that to be like the, you know, pre, the uh, successor to the Matrix and kind of carry on the story um, mm-hmm. of these three movies. But that got shut down at some point. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the kid. Uh, I'm also not sure about the relationship with like Niobe and Locke and and Morpheus. Like, is that trying to to say like is Niobe a stand-in for the rest of the skeptics who are like not believing the prophecy, not believing in Morpheus, but have come around since his are are seeing the signs like he is like he's always believed in, but they're just now getting around to believing in him. I think it's um I took I that might be true. That seems perfectly cromulent. Um. Uh, my understanding is that this is another outgrowth of the Wachowskis fixation on like chiral forms and reflections and yin and yang um, and parallels because like this okay. is a, this is a setup to like this is the Merovingian versus Persephone you know like Nairobi's on Locke's side but Locke's arrogance and his you know, ego so turn her off that I think she backs Morpheus just to piss him off as much as it does that she believes in Morpheus. Hmm. And she she thinks what he's doing is uh he's and he's kind of fashy, to be honest. Like I think you get the idea that Locke knows better than the council. And if it was up to him, he would disregard the council's decision, make himself oh, supreme sure. 
commander of Zion and and get them all killed. Mm-hmm. So like I yeah, but I think she's she's just uh, the human form of uh, Persephone. That there's nothing that the there's nothing that our protagonist could do that could possibly influence Locke, and it looks like he's going to win and stymie him. And in the last minute, the feminine comes in and says, "Nope, fuck you, fuck your ego and your power. I want to do the opposite thing," and it pisses him off. Okay, I can see that too. I I, I was just trying to like look at what they portray about their uh, relationship because she's a new character in this movie, and they clearly have a past um, where they were together. And they broke up after, I, I assume it's when he went on this, you know, damn fool idealistic crusade uh, where he was, he talked with the Oracle and he got the prophecy of the one and then he just went off the deep end with that and she couldn't tolerate it. And so they broke up and she got with Locke, who's a much more rational, much more like uh, non-religious person. And somewhere along the way with these events, she reconsidered her opinion after she saw like what Neo could do and all these things she is now reconsidered because she comes off from the jump, very flirtatious with Morpheus. It's not like she oh, gets that whole pissed thing off at some things never change. And yeah, yeah, it's dancing. not like she gets pissed off at Locke over, over the course of this and just decides, you know, I've had enough of this fool. She's very flirtatious from the start. When mm-hmm. when Morpheus comes back, so mm-hmm. I I think like what happened there is now she believes and she's willing to follow him again. Is there a point that, like I said, I think I already called it out. It's like that uh, there's so many distractingly attractive people in this movie. Uh, you know, you look at Carrie Ann Moss, you look at Jada Pinkett Smith, you look at Monica fucking Bellucci. <laughs> Like for my money, she is sexier in this film than she is in Bride, uh, than she is in like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Even though that was like fifteen years before this, and she's topless in that scene. Like there is <laughs> okay. the, the 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 dress she is wearing is doing so much work. And then the other side, Morpheus looks like a fucking god. Uh, Neo is like an anime pretty boy. Uh, yeah, like just every everyone in this whole fucking film can get it. It's it's it's, it's <laughs> insane. There's like so many like that 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 dance cave scene is like a mm-hmm. like the no two humans look the same. They're in different sizes and shapes and orientations, but they're all fucking attractive. Uh, Turns out there are a lot of attractive people in Hollywood that you can hire just as extras if you want. Apparently, the, but this, <laughs> the, this is Australia Hollywood, huh? If you think about that, Did, wasn't this all like mostly filmed in Australia? Uh, Am I crazy? Yes. You're right. Turns out this there are a lot probably of attract- attractive they, they people, keep in attractive Australia people in too. Australia too. Yeah, yeah. Fewer, fewer, but still there. <laughs> um, I found that I didn't know this before, but like Z, uh, who's Locke's not Locke, uh, Link's wife, was supposed to be Aaliyah, but she died oh. literally as they were doing the pre-production, and they substituted this other who's still a uh, crazy attractive woman. Oh yeah, but like, oh my god, to get Aaliyah in here. Mm-hmm. Shut the whole thing down. The aesthetic of this movie. <laughs> I also love the scene uh, during where they're on the lead up to getting uh, to, to meet the Merovingian where they're getting on the elevator and like you have all these normies that are just working at this office complex and they're trying to get on his <laughs> they try to get on his elevator and Morpheus and Neo and Trinity are you looking like they are like Morpheus is wearing his crocodile uh, mm-hmm. stormtrooper trench coat 
and you know Neo's looking like some kind of fucking uh, Tibetan monk and Trinity just looks like Trinity with the mirrored glasses and like uh, Morpheus just kind of gives him a slight nod and all of them are just like okay we'll take the next elevator I think that's just really funny <laughs> imagine imagine you're yeah. trying to get on an elevator downtown Cincinnati and you see these three people like <laughs> what the fuck you think Gen Con's in town or something yeah or Die Hard was about to break out right <laughs> something yeah these are some weird Euro trash people in our elevator and this building's probably gonna get blown up mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I think we talked about this in the first Matrix, but oh my god, the cell phones in these movies are so fucking cool. <laughs> I was looking at one. I paused it on Morpheus's cell phone. Uh huh. I was trying to figure about. out what they did to it because it's very like chunky in a way that cell phones would never be uh, after 2007. I feel like what they did is they just made a case for like a Nokia, for like a $12 Nokia mm -hmm. nothing phone, right? They just made a I, shell for it. Unlike the first film, I don't think these are real cell phones. I think these are purpose-built yeah. for the Matrix, but they're, I don't know, man. They're so, like, look, I'd never, I'll never go back to the old phones from the smartphone mm -hmm. because they're just too useful, but there is something like, these were more elegant phones for more civilized age. Like, <laughs> I don't know, they look to me like, uh, I I don't know. Like somebody wanted to make a hand grenade, but ac accidentally put a phone in it. It's really weird. It's a weird design. I'm not sold on it. I much uh, more prefer the the Nokia, you know, razor or, or sorry, the Motorola like razor type look, and the the Neo's phone from the first movie where the screen just kind of flips. Or not enough that's, flips, but slides up is that's the coolest the thing. of all of them. That's the coolest one. I thought this was like I yeah, I don't I wonder why they went away from that. Did they lose their sponsorship and they had to like Oh maybe. Because it is a, it's like a slightly more futuristic but chunky mm -hmm. that Nokia slide or whatever it is. All right. That's gonna do it for the twentieth anniversary of the Matrix. Uh I don't I don't know. I don't know if I've changed any minds here. I do I um <laughs> I don't know, I do have this thought that like uh that the matrix will the the the, the uh, yeah I, I feel like that um if people gave the matrix trilogy another look that they will see that the sequels aren't as bad as they remember there's like a lot of people did agree with me that the that the second one that's reloaded is maybe more fun or enjoyable than the first movie in terms of like stunts and like spectacle um oof but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing if the third one holds up as much as i think it does uh, coming up uh, in November because we'll have the 20th anniversary of Revolutions. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the other thing is like a lot of people said, well, there's no Godfather 4 where they really fuck everything up. And it's like, <laughs> I have a hard time holding Wachowski's responsible for yeah. the fourth Matrix because we a talked about this on the fourth Matrix make. review. That it's like, it's Sophie's choice. Like the studio's mm -hmm. like, we're going to blow your child's brain out unless you come and do something terrible to it mm -hmm. and it's like well it'd still be alive at the end you know and, and at least it'll be by my hand instead of some stranger who doesn't love them and yeah it's just like what do you do what do you do like the studio has all the control they can just take away your vision and bastardize it or you can do it yourself might mm -hmm. as well make it a commentary on how you as a creator feel about it so it's like I, I don't see that as a, as, a, as a chapter in the Matrix so much as it's a protest letter that Lana Wachowski wrote 
but uh, but yeah, yeah. Until they make a fourth Godfather that that, that really fucks up and recontextualizes everything. <laughs> Uh, I do. I do think the Godfather trilogy is a, and, and the Star Wars trilogy is a is a decent way to look at the Matrix, at least to my mind. But I, I clearly have an uphill battle to convince people that Reloaded is the Godfather Two slash Empire Strikes Back. Clearly, don't think I got yeah. it done here. Didn't even convince my best friend, so I doubt I'm going to convince. Uh, the I, I just have such a love for that first movie. It it blew my mind in a way that I didn't realize it could be blown. Uh, when I was 17. <laughs> so, mm. I, yeah, I'm never going to shake that. This is one of my early DVD purchases, the second one, and I oh. just watched it because I didn't, I didn't care for the third one, but I really liked the second one except for the Zion scenes. And I was a big proponent of the de-Zionized versions of <laughs> right. Reloaded for a long time where they had all that shit taken out, but, like, I don't know. Now it's like, ah, I, I, I don't know that the movie is as good without that. Like, it's it's a vital part of understanding it but like i said i've i've spent two and a half hour or two and a half hours talking about it uh you either you either uh you, you get on board or or don't at this point uh again we'll be back in november for another take at the matrix trilogy we'll be closing things out with evolution um or revolutions rather uh, i do know in junior there's a lot of interesting pulp things that uh will be presenting itself there is star trek strange new worlds and the new Walking Dead was it? You would call it a Dead City, Dead, dead Island. City. It's the uh, a Negan Michonne, or a, a Negan and uh, Maggie spinoff. Not promising. We'll cover that, but it's something that might be pulpy fun to look at in a little mini series. But for sure, Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, but yeah, we'll hope to see you at the next pulp uh, movie podcast. Certainly in November for the 20th anniversary of Matrix Revolutions. Until then, I'm your host Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.